Howdy, folks. Widget Walls from NeedCoffee.com here. Listen, on behalf of myself and the two guys who actually do know what they're talking about when it comes to music, thanks for downloading The Soundboard, our humble music podcast. Just a quick note here to say thank you to everyone who's helped support Need Coffee and its podcasts down through the ages. And I know we mentioned this at the end, but I wanted to make sure and say this up front here on The Soundboard. Because Need Coffee is listener-supported and because this podcast actually does cost things to put out there, and because I'm the guy with the company that pays for everything, trust me, any help you do provide is greatly appreciated. Whether it's going to needcoffee.com slash support and throwing a few coins to us via PayPal or bookmarking needcoffee.com slash Amazon and using that to go to the Amazon front page and buy stuff you were going to buy anyway, and we get kickbacks that way, every little bit helps to keep the lights on and the microphones humming. So thank you to everyone for your support from the little music podcast that could. It warms us, even when the threat of a boy band revival makes us cold. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Soundboard, the NeedCoffee.com music podcast. Uh, I am Widget Walls, or at least that is the vicious rumor uh, that has been leveled against me. And uh, we are here, gathered again, um, and luckily, uh, luckily it's not just me, because if it was just me talking about music, uh, that would be really strange. So luckily I've brought two experts along with me, the usual suspects, uh, who are going to help us talk about music on this lovely podcast. Uh, first we have Rob is with us. Hello, Rob. Hello, sir. Hello. And Tuffley, of course, is with us. Hello, Tuffley. Hi. We are, we are joined together, the triumvirate of terror. And the terror this month <laughs> is that, well, it is February, if you hadn't noticed, and I, that I'm very sorry to be the one to break it to you, but it is indeed February, and that means that Valentine's Day uh, is upon us. And indeed, we're recording this on a Sunday, which means that um, it's just a few days away. So, but we we... On this music podcast, there's plenty of music out there that is about love and tenderness, and and you can even try a little of that tenderness. Uh, <laughs> that's what I've been told. But no, we like to talk about the anti-Valentine's Day songs, and so we're going to do a little something different this year to give you our latest and greatest and our favorites um, in that particular subgenre. But first, uh, we have some other business to contend with. But um, I, I know that while we're recording this as well, because this is a Sunday, guys, um, we have, uh, you know, we're about an hour away from the Grammys, which I know that we all care so very much about, but I thought I would, while we were on the cusp of it and, and it hadn't started yet, does anybody have any last minute predictions that they would like to get on the record just in case they're correct? Now for me, my, my one prediction is that I think that, uh, Michelle Obama is going to beat Bill Clinton in the spoken word category pretty much the only category in the Grammys that I give a shit about. Uh, I think it's going to be tough, but I think it's Obama's year to take it. Uh, what about you guys? That, that's a bold, bold prediction there. So. I, I know, I know, but I that, think, that's you know. A limb. That's a limb right there. I know, well, but, but I'm. It's I'm, tough because the music industry loves both of them. I know, but. But Clinton's already won. Clinton, Clinton's already won, and Clinton isn't married to someone who killed Osama bin Laden. Now, who is and and I might add had Stevie Wonder and um, a bunch of other cool people play at the White House. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, what are you gonna do? So, the music yeah. industry, I think, is gonna smile on Michelle Obama and her awesome arms. Now, who else is up in that category? 
Uh, you know, I looked it up, but I didn't really recognize any of the other ones. Hang on a second, and I can tell you. Because I'm wondering if they could split the vote, and the third person could get in. Oh, uh, that is. I see. I see what you're going for there. I'm and, just throwing it. I think you're right, but I just want to see. Uh, well, let's see. We have. Um, let's see. Uh, what is it? What is it? Um, best spoken word album. Oh my God! Wait a minute. Have they already announced it? I just pulled it up. It's. Wait, what was Michelle Obama up for? Oh, no, it was American Grown Michelle Obama was uh, by various artists. Who wrote this? No. See, see you're in the pre-show. Oh, well, I didn't know anything, this. Anything goes in the pre-show. They That's can true. They can, like, their awards out now. That's true. We'll get, well, Rob, Rob takes it because the Michelle Obama spoken word album and the Bill Clinton spoken word album, neither of them won. Instead, Janice Ian's Society's Child, My Autobiography won. So Audible beat out three Random House titles and a Hatchet Audio title. Wow. Wow, so uh, Rob takes it. Huh. Totally, totally split the vote along with probably Ellen DeGeneres didn't help matters. So <laughs> so knowing that we haven't looked at anything else and don't know what's going on, do either of you have anything you want to throw out there? Do you yes. have a limb that you want to get out on and have it break on you immediately? Well, uh, go ahead, Justin. Well, I was going to say album of the year is probably going to be Frank, uh, Frank Ocean, unless something amazing happens and it turns out to be they'll give it to um, uh, Jack White. Ocean. What, 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 what is Dad Billy? Is that what you were saying? Yes, the Caribbean queen will win. Is, Billy, no, is, is he really his dad? Really? No, I just no. made that up. Oh, okay. No. That'd be awesome. He's not. Although I'm pretty sure, you know. Tyler and, and, and the Odd Future guys have probably made up a backstory for that already. Which will probably be on Cartoon Network next week. Probably. Um. <laughs> so you're saying Frank Ocean. Rob, what, do you have a last-minute prediction? Um, well, for me, the great thing about the Grammys um, being on is that it's on at the time as hockey. So I can watch hockey. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, and, so let, me, let me just get this straight. Your prediction is you're going to watch hockey. Yes. Okay, I think that's a pretty and, safe I mean, bet. Okay. No, I mean, and it's sad. We can talk about this later. It's just the Grammys have become sort of uninteresting now. But I will think, I think Tuffley's right, and that I think it's um, Ocean's year. I also wouldn't be surprised if Jack White has a big year, mainly sort of, not necessarily because of music, but because of just empowerment, sort of. Because he not only started his own label and has his own singing career, he opened his own record-pressing plant um, in Nashville, and he's sort of single-handedly trying to bring back, you know, sort of this, like, indie guitar movement thing on his own. Um, and I think the industry really likes that. And I think there's probably still a few leftover awards from last year for Adele to win. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would not be surprised, and I know it's it's weird, but it would not surprise me if Radiohead wins at least one thing tonight because I think – there's a certain sense of Radiohead is back kind of thing that I'm vibe that I'm kind of getting. So um, that next year will be Adam Adams for Peace is what you're saying. Well, I don't necessarily think Adams for Peace, but I mean Radiohead <laughs> put out that album they toured this year, didn't they? Aren't um, they up for Aren't they up for something? Uh, they're up for best alternative, I think. Yeah, I have a feeling they may win that, but unless they're up against Jack White, then it gets interesting. But. Yeah, you know, there's a couple people that might have big years. I don't know if is Springsteen up for anything. I'm checking. Uh, I I think he's up for best rock song for uh, We Take Care of Our Own. Yeah, yeah, he which might is probably going to win. Yeah, 
Yeah. I could see him also having a big a big night. So that is kind of you know it for me. I mean, I'm 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 just kind of casually disinterested in it. And I know I feel terrible about that, but um, their grading system is just so weird, and their uh, I mean their their award system is just so weird, and where they put categories is so weird that I don't know. It's just it's kind of lost the the magic, you know. Plus, I have to say, if you are just a casual music person, and you have access to satellite you get a chance to watch it watch the grammys be fair you know i know you're going to watch the grammys but the next time it comes on watch the brits and compare the tv shows in terms of quality and presentation and, and things and you will totally feel different about the grammys when that's done well there you go so so there you go folks uh make sure that if you were going to put money down on rob watching hockey that you do that before the uh <laughs> sorry before it closes I don't know. They're just, they've just lost me. I know that sounds really, really bad, but I'm just saying. That's okay. That's okay. I know the draw of hockey. And it's a lot of music I don't listen to. So. Yeah, I, I know. I don't recognize most of these people. Well, I think, I think the problem is for the rock categories is I think what was it, the thing where they started including live performances? Yeah. The last couple of years they started including <laughs> live performances. So there's a lot of really good rock records that didn't get nominated because for God's sakes, we had to nominate Fleetwood Mac again. Yeah. For a track from rumors that actually won oh, 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of strange. It's very right. strange, but, but to be fair, Mick Fleetwood knows how to drive a reasonably priced car. He does. He does. All right. Like so, seed. so, <laughs> so moving right along. I lost in real time. That's that's so accurate. Um, all right. Well, unfortunately, before we get into more uh, merriment and, and mania, uh, we do have a couple of losses that we need to report. Um, the first is uh, is Donald Byrd, a uh, jazz musician. And Rob, let me let me throw to you on this one. You can take the lead on it. Tell us about Donald Byrd. Um, you may say to yourself, I've never heard Donald Byrd, right? Perhaps. Well, you guys probably have, but oh, yeah. you may say, I may not have heard him, but you have, you just don't realize it. If you've heard the Cantaloupe song by US3, mm, yes. um, if you've heard um, Public Enemy, if you've heard, I mean, he's one of these artists that you will hear his hooks and then you'll recognize him for his samples. So you'll, you'll hear it like 30 seconds of a Donald Byrd song now, and you'll say, wait a minute, it's in that, it's in that record. And yeah, true, he was hugely sampled, but he's interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, he's an amazing trumpet player. Uh, that you should just check out his records just if you like to hear good trumpet jazz. But he's also sort of the bridge between jazz and soul and funk. He was sort of sort of like the only jazz guy that really got that you can incorporate jazz into soul music and into funk and make it rhythmic and interesting, which is why a lot of his records are so sampled because they kind of have that like funky horn thing on it, and it's much easier to sample a perfect one than to make a new one on a computer. So he, uh, he's kind of the bridge. For that, the other interesting thing is he was a, me a member of, ja of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, and as such, he played with John Coltrane, uh, Sonny Rollins, the uh, Thelonious uh, Monk, Jesus, and uh, Herbie Hancock. So he's kind of we still have Herbie Hancock, but he's sort of like this link to like these great jazz players just by association, and that is also kind of kind of sad because again a lot of these great old jazz guys 
are uh, are going. And he has the distinction. You may you may say to yourself, I know we talked a lot last last uh, podcast about timeout, and we've talked about uh, kind of blue and a lot of great jazz records. You may say, I think those are the best selling jazz records on Blue Note Records ever, but they're not. Uh, the best-selling Blue Note record is actually Blackbird, uh, which I think is from 73, 73 or 74. And I'm doing this off the top mm, of my head, so right. forgive me. I think 73. Um, it's, it's an album called Blackbird, and, and it's the best-selling record on Blue Note. It actually charted on uh, uh, a lot more than most jazz records did. And for that, you know, I guess his biggest contribution is that he made jazz funky. And I know a lot of people that listen to jazz now because they heard John, uh, Donald Byrd and he was their conduit. You know, they heard they heard him play on a couple other records, or they heard some of his stuff later that was kind of funky and soul um, and melodic. And you know, in the '70s when everyone was doing disco, he was still doing like this sort of funky jazz, which I think you could almost call acid jazz. But he was doing a lot of that, and so a lot of people got into jazz through him, and he was kind of that conduit. And he started doing a lot of interesting – I mean, he originally started off as like a jazz bebop guy, uh, moved into sort of a harder uh, bebop sound, and then eventually went into fusion. So he kind of covered all of, all of the – whereas Louis Armstrong, you could say, played the trumpet one particular way his entire career. Donald Byrd sort of evolved playing the trumpet over several different decades and sort of tried to change his approach to playing the trumpet and playing music and making music with those times. And he brought a lot of things in with him. Uh, into that music, and I think that's probably the biggest uh, thing that we can that we can say about him. Mm. <clears throat> that's the short version. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a, no, that is because there's there's a lot to say. Um, now, Tuffley, did you have anything to add to that? No, I think Rob got all my points there. Yeah, I I think he completely got my part of the syllabus on that one. Have you guys ever heard Blackbird? Yes. Yes, I haven't heard a track or two from it. I haven't heard the whole thing. It's amazing. And, you know, the, the Cantaloupe record made him a ton of money, too. Good. Um, uh, when that came out, that US3 record. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's used in commercials. It's used, you know, it's just one of those, it's a very, in the same way that uh, Time Out was, it's a very commercially sounding jazz record. And it's a really, really sad loss that we lost this guy who sort of made jazz cool again. In, 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 a, in, a, in the same way, but in a different way as Brubeck at the same time. Mm. Um, well, the the other the other person that we lost recently um, was uh, <laughs> Reg Presley, uh, and you and again, like Rob was saying, you may go, "Who the hell is that?" But I know that you've heard Reg Presley because Reg <laughs> Presley uh, was the lead singer of the Trogs. And even if you don't know, well, who are the Trogs? First of all, slap yourself and know that you should at least know they put out the number one hit, Wild Thing. Yes. So uh, died at age 71. And what I found interesting was, I mean, everyone's heard Wild Thing. I think everyone has covered Wild Thing. Even, what was it, Sam Kennison covered Wild Thing, for God's sake. So it's it's been everywhere. Yeah, I know. I, I, I forgot about that. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but what I did not realize is that the, uh, the Trogs were considered sort of like a um, – uh, a, a, a proto-punk sort of band, like a, a forerunner of what was to come later with like garage sounds and stuff like that. So, um, but but knowing and and I remember a few years back when they came out with this box set, and I was like, box set? What is this? Twenty-five different, you know, twelve-inch dance remix of Wild Thing. What else did they do? But I mean, apparently they they did quite a bit. So 
I, I didn't know if anybody wanted to weigh in on the the legacy of the Trogs, uh, because I I apart from that song, I didn't know that they had much uh, until very recently. Well, you know, here's there's a couple of interesting things about Reg Presley. Um, first, if you you know the thing about Wild Thing, you listen to it, and the guitars are completely out of out of whack with the rest of the song. And for that record to come out when it came out and not have the guitars be, you know, it came out at a time when you had the Kinks and you had the Stones and you had a lot of other bands that were doing a lot of really good guitar rock. And they just sort of took the table and turned it over by making the guitars sort of in that same way that they're dirty in. Um, well, they played them out of tune on purpose. Out, out of tune on purpose, yeah. But I mean, the guitars work in the same sort of way as they do on You Really Got Me or um, some of those early Stone singles. You know, they sort of got the idea of the guitar. Is the first forefront noise thing you're going to hear, and they sort of made in terms of their, in terms of the style of the Trogs, they bickered, they fought, they did all the things that you know we 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 came to personify in a punk band almost a decade later. They fought, they drank, they uh, they were rude, you know. Uh, they had a whole recording of them fighting that got released <laughs> eventually, an influence Spinal Tap. Um, <laughs> There, 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 there's a scene in Spinal Tap that's uh, directly influenced from a, a tape of the Trogs in the studio where the, they're just yelling at each other and just they they are saying the things that we would just never say to each other as human beings and then they just pick up guitars and play again you know um, but the interesting thing is you have Wild Thing which is this like sort of dirty grimy sort of like two minute record that's just it still sounds great when you listen oh, it to does. it it does it does and, and grimy is a great way of describing it it really yeah. is. And and then they have Love Is All Around, which I think is probably as perfect a pop record as you can have. Uh, REM covered it. It was used in Love Actually. I mean, and I think the Trogs later recorded an album with REM without Michael Stipe, with the, with the rest of REM without Michael Stipe. They made a record with the Trogs. So that's kind of how influential they were. Um, they were discovered by the manager of the Kinks, so they sort of are always sort of wrapped in a, in a ball sort of with the kinks in, in many ways, even though they're musically different. But it, it, and it's interesting because they didn't really, I think they were one of those bands that came around at the time and nobody knew what to do with them. And I stumbled upon them, you know, sort of when I was early in college, I was dating a girl and she's like, have you heard the songs? Like, yeah, wild things. She goes, no, 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 no. And then she's like, here's, here's your homework. Take these home and listen to them. And then, oh my God, they're great. There are other records besides wild thing. And Love Is All Around are really great. And um, they really sort of had a sense of timing. The easiest way to describe it is they had a sense of timing, they had a sense of melody, and they had a sense of, of uh, lyrics, but not in any way comprehensible by any other band at the time. Mm. It, they were to pop music of, of their day to what Stephen Moffat was to conventional storytelling, sort of when he did Blink, kind of. Um, or, or as I like to say, it's what the sound of Memento would be when that record got released. It was just sort of nice. jumbled all over the place, dirty, grimy, and you couldn't figure it out. And then the next moment, it's like really nice and pleasant, and then it's dirty and grimy again. Well, so, I, I think the uh, I think the other way of putting that is what was it? Who was it? Gandhi who said that you need to know what the rules are backwards and forwards so you can know uh, effectively how to break them. I think yes. so. Uh, now, now, Tuffley, did you did you have any thoughts on the Trogs? Because obviously they they cast a a long shadow, not as long a shadow as we're going to get into in just a bit, but yeah. a shadow indeed. 
Well, I think I think my thing is they had an international hit and they played the guitars out of tune. Um, I think that uh, I, I think that uh, inspired a lot of bands. I think you can see that in New York Dolls, particularly and Nirvana, and Nirvana, and you know Sonic Youth, and all the way down the line. Um, so so yeah, it's it's basically a huge influence on you know garage bands or bands in a garage sort of thing. So. Or, or yeah. bands that want to sound like they're in a garage. Absolutely. And, and also, too, the, the one thing I think they did is they sort of introduced this idea that anybody can be in a band and not be a professional musician. Because before, everyone was sort of kind of had a sense of lyrics and, and tone and, and, and melody and how to write and stuff. But these guys just sort of like, screw it. We're going in. We're going to make a record and, and screw around. And in, in hindsight, it's kind of great. <laughs> And I think it did inspire a lot of those garage bands that came out during yeah. the sixties and the and the seventies. Just, uh, just well, they had a number one hit. We we could do that. We could yeah, maybe I think play it, our guitars uh, in tune, maybe. Uh, and, yeah, I think it. I think it inspired all the Wall of Sound records of that era. I think it sort of inspired uh, punk later on down the line, and I think it also had a pretty huge effect on, on a lot of the garage stuff. I can even hear bits of surf in it too, once in a while. Yeah. But then at the same time, you're married to, you know, the pop of the kinks and the birds and a lot of those other bands with love is all around. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's an I, interesting dynamic. I think I think when you look at Wild Thing, I think it's particularly with the era of what it is that it's in. I think a lot of the uh, you really got me go. You really got me now from the kinks and some of those and, and their Stones records were very slickly produced. Um, and Wild Thing absolutely wasn't. Yeah. And I, I think, and I think that the more raw sound of that, I think, really, really affected, you know, other bands. Excellent. And All the right. other, the other yeah. interesting thing about Reg Presley, and then I'll, and then I'll, I swear I'll let us move on. No, no, it's fine. Um, later in his life, he got very obsessed with UFOs, <laughs> and okay. he wrote several books on aliens visiting England and other planets. From, uh, aliens from other planets visiting England and other parts of the world, and he was really, really into studying crop circles. He wrote a book on the studying of crop circles. It became like horribly obsessive uh, late in his life that he would just he was just like really, really, really into this concept of like aliens invading the human mind and crop circles and alien abduction. It, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, it's kind of. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense when you think about it in the big picture. But it, it, and you have to wonder if the guy was bipolar, and that's because he said, you know, he heard all the. When he, he said that when he heard Wild Thing, it sounded perfectly normal in his mind. So you have to wonder in that same way that you know Beethoven had tinnitus and it sounded great. Is this the same thing? But he had this sort of side cult thing going on outside of making records, which is just bizarrely weird. So I thought I'd throw that in there to, uh, to. Uh, there's, there's, there's always room for a little high weirdness, and that reminds me. I should probably – if that is the case, then I need to go back and check to see if he was ever on the Art Bell show because uh, that would be amazing. And, uh, and I would also like to point out if you too would like to get some homework uh, from Rob's old girlfriend, um, a lot of Trogs <laughs> is on Spotify, and you can go check that out. So uh, there is a particular band that has uh, returned. and The Noisettes? No, no, not not the noise that's toughly, but I, I don't I don't they haven't arrived yet is the problem. So they can't really return, can they? Not really. No, no, no. no. But 
But this particular band, um, uh, not only did the announcement of their upcoming album uh, crash their website, but if I if I remember this correctly, Tuffley, wasn't there a petition on the White House uh, website uh, <laughs> trying to get the U.S. government to get this band's website back up and running as soon as possible? I'm sure there were many petitions yes. to get the My Bloody Valentine website back up. Uh, and there you go. It is, it is My Bloody Valentine, and yeah. they have – they. <laughs> They are back, and and while Rob is having his moment, Tuffley, let me throw to you first and tell me, t t tell me and tell the audience the significance of this and your thoughts on their return. <laughs> well, it's the first album from this band in what twenty one, twenty two years. Before some of our listeners were born. Before some before some of our listeners were even born, uh, their previous album, Loveless. Uh, my joke was it crashed the Usenet when it came out, so it's fine. Um. <laughs> wow. L look it up, kids. Look it up. Look it up, kids. Ask your parents. Uh, kids, ask your parents about this entire third of discussion right now. Um. Yes. But uh, my belief, Valentine is a band known for um, shall we say, taking their time with releasing records. Um, and uh, weirdly enough, taking advances from record labels. Um. Both of which have a lot to do with, I would imagine, uh, with their uh, with how much they're charging for this new release. Uh, the MP3 version by itself, if you look at their website, is sixteen ninety nine for a nine track MP3. Now the album is good. I will give it that. The album is good, and you can listen to this, uh, by the way, uh, without paying sixteen sixteen seventeen dollars uh, if you go to YouTube because uh, they posted all the tracks there. But. Um, <laughs> Or or Rob's house apparently. No, no, the, uh, I, the, I was just commenting on the YouTube uh, for what it's worth. Okay, but uh, and perhaps you could record it off of YouTube hypothetically. You, well, yes, you could, but we don't encourage that sort of thing. Well, we don't, none of us do any of that. No, no, but, none of us know. do any of that. No, 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 not at all, not at all. Um, but uh, you know, I think my main thing is, um, and I understand the price point. Um, good Lord, how many record labels have they got to pay off here? Um, I, I know there's – do they still owe creation, Rob? Do they still owe creation from, money, from Rob? What, from what I understand, um, and it's not – we shouldn't necessarily say the band. I think it's primarily Kevin Shields probably. Yeah, it's Kevin Shields. Yeah. Um, I think they probably owed money to Warners. I'm not sure who else they owed money to. I think they I were know they, I know they advanced uh, – I know Island advanced uh, the band money in 96 for an album they never got. Yeah, but so, they did get – I mean the thing is they did apparently get demos or they got something. I don't know what that is. Um, yeah, uh, they seem to have gotten – there's a report of maybe they got an album or something that they didn't release or – And sure. I mean there's a lot of stuff that's sort of murky here. Um, surprise. Uh, you know, did they get an album the labels not choose to release it? Was it like unlistenable? Because I could totally see them turning in an album that's quote unquote unlistenable. But there's a lot of I think people along the way, and I'll, I'll wait till you're done to sort of go on this. But uh, I think there's a lot of people on the way that they had to sort of get uh, put some things to bed in order to get the album out, combined with their own sort of docileness about yeah. putting out an album as well. Yeah. So, uh, the, yeah, so basically, yes, it's out. Uh, they are selling it themselves. Uh, you can find it at mybloodyvalentine.org. Uh, you can also check out the album on uh, YouTube, um, I believe, under their own official channel, um, which I believe you can find as My Bloody Valentine. Mm -hmm. um, 
but uh, I, I, it's 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 kind of a half and half. It's kind of an interesting thing where, and I think particularly because of the price point, I'm wondering if it's one of those things where I understand who they owe, um, but I also understand it's it's a very limited audience that's going to buy this record. I mean, this isn't going to be a general release pop record. Uh, so it's a very limited audience. So it's sort of, I don't know, from, from my perspective, it's sort of testing that whole Apple pricing theory. You know, uh, you, you price yourself as a, as a high brand or a luxury brand type thing. And I wonder if that's what they're doing, because it seems like the audience that would listen to My Bloody Valentine now would actually be able to afford a $17 MP3. <laughs> Although, toughly to be fair, um, last time I checked, Apple did not post um, <clears throat> potentially downloadable iPods on YouTube. No, they didn't. Uh, but uh, screenshots. You could do screenshots, and now with 3D printers, you could. <laughs> Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> okay. Well, well, Rob, what, where do you want to go uh, with this? Okay. Hello, Tim Cook. Hi. A couple things, and one of them popped into my head while Mr. Tuff, Professor Tuffley was talking. Um, they did release last year um, three reissues. You had the uh, – they had the, well, several reissues. You had the reissue of Loveless. You had a release of all of their EPs, which was you know Glider and um, all their creation EPs, and then the, uh, the re reissue of their first album. So the fact that all of those albums did get reissued, in nice packaging with remastered sound and all that very easily. For example, creation could have gotten all that money for all the creation reissues because that record's going to sell far better now than it was then. And most of it was for the most part unavailable in the U S Yeah. so that could have been their way of paying off. Those people was to reissue those records because they, the reissue rights and things go out. Um, that may also have been, there was a delay in that they said they were going to put out the album and then there was a long delay, and it just came out now. And it very much could be that that was the sort of settlement that they made, was we will put this out, and you will get this money. We're done. And that, I mean, that kind of that easily could be part of it. The other interesting thing is, you know, Kevin Shields did has done a lot of um, various work. He's on, he's on a Patti Smith record, a Primal Scream record. He did uh, some work on the soundtrack for like Lost in Translation and several, a couple other film things. So they've had a couple other things lurking in the background um the the lineup that was on in 91 on loveless is the lineup that's back now and most of them have had other projects and other bands and other things going on so it's not just completely them being lazy i think it's kind of one a you know we did this this record is hugely influential let's put this away we have we can't do anything new let's put this away and I think that was for the longest time sort of the pervading thought is we don't really have anywhere to progress musically after Loveless. Well, we did a show and, about bands. I seem to recall we did a show about bands, about whether they change or whether they yeah. – whatever. And we mentioned My Bloody Valentine, and at the time I think one of us had made the statement that they seemed particularly very happy to never release another record again. Yeah, but what's so. interesting is that the last two years has seen the reemergence of like the shoegazer pop music movement. Yeah. Now – the biggest, there's a new pulp single out. Yes, um, there's, but I mean, a lot of these, you know, a lot of the stuff like Pains of Being Pure at Heart, and School of Seven Bells, and Gliss, and Bad Veins, and Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. There's all these bands that sort of do this like dirge 
of like this cross between rock music and just like shoegazer stuff. It's really pop. And, and again, um, case in point, which I hate to I hate to use you as an example here, but you That's said okay. you're listening to a lot of this stuff with ethereal vocals, sort of washed in guitars, right? Right. Lately, yeah. That's right out of 1993 again. So. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. No, I'm just saying it's interesting how it's all sort of recycled, sort of through. So if there was ever a time for that band to say, okay, guys, we're we have to put out a record now, cash in our chips and make our money. I mean, even the Stone Roses are doing it. The Happy Mondays are doing it. I mean. There, a lot of these bands from that from that era are realizing that this is the opportunity for them to strike and make their money. And if you're My Bloody Valentine, you're like, look, we were a hugely influential band on every band that came along after the next 15 or 20 years. It's to the point now where like, if a band doesn't sound like in some way, shape, or form like New Order, they sound in some way, shape, or form like My Bloody Valentine. It's kind of getting like that, right? So they're probably saying to themselves, this is our time you know, to do this. There's three large festivals in America. Let's get fucking paid. I mean, at the end of the day, if they're ever going to get paid, this is when they're going to get paid, realistically. Yeah. Um, so, and again, you listen to the record. It does not really progress anywhere beyond what they did with Loveless. But No, and it's a great record. To be, to be absolutely yeah. fair to the record, it's a great record. I mean, to be fair, so I love all that stuff. I mean, I, I've, I've, I'm one of those idiots that has a complete creation records catalog and – uh, it's like insane tracking down a lot of these like weird obscure records from that era uh, because a lot of those bands at that time were really great and there's some really fun overlooked records that were made at that time but they've always sort of been able to make money by being elusive and they sort of got that the longer they didn't make a record the more money they'd make down the road and it wasn't time yet it wasn't time yet and if they came back two or three years ago they would have done okay, but this is like a pretty good time for them to strike. So I think that's part of the big payout is this is their time. This is their bank. Get paid. And I mean that record was not really appreciated in America as much as it should have been by people beyond college radio. Well, you or mean Loveless? Loveless, yes. Yeah. Um, or people that like were big music people yeah. beyond, in, you know, beyond 1992 or 93. And then it sort of became sort of the, you know, it sort of became the on the road of uh, of music. We're like, well, if you're going to be a cool little hipster, you have to listen to this record at some point. And this is what you have to, you know, you have to listen to this sort of to be cool or get it, you know. Yeah. And it's not for everybody. You know, Loveless is probably the most, um, despite the fact that it's um, pretty rough, it, it's, probably the most polished of the records, their early singles, like you made me realize and soft yeah. the snow are these records that have these like regular things that you would recognize as melodies, but then they just escalated to this like huge, like I, swirling, like tornadoes of sound kind of thing. I, I actually had Loveless on in the office the other day while I was working and someone came by and said, okay, where's the vocal? Yeah. And I was like, it's there. You have to listen very, very closely to get to it, but, but it's there. Yeah. Huh. And um, having seen, having suffered through them live, I can tell you that they are the loudest band I have ever seen. Wow! And I've sat through the Ramones, like at CVs and the. I mean, they were the loudest friggin' band I have ever heard in my life. And you know, they played. I think their their last encore, like droned on for like twenty five minutes of like just one song, just for twenty minutes of just 
noise, 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 noise. So I think a lot of that sort of they're sort of a jammy noise band, really. Well, well, no, it's kind of like it's almost like it's almost like the fusion jazz of yeah, indie but, rock. But, but yeah, but they they tend to go long. Well, live it, yeah. yeah. And I think part of the part of the problem too is that I don't think Kevin Shields felt like artistically he made the music he was happy with. You know, I've heard that I've heard him say, you know, they've recorded some stuff, they got together, but they weren't happy with anything. Now, if that is truly the case, and They've said, you know, we made some records, we got together, we did some recording, it just didn't feel right. I'm totally fine with that because I think a band that sort of knows this isn't our best stuff, we shouldn't really release that. It's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, because they very easily, any time in the last 15 years, could have put something out and, and made a decent chunk of money. And I think it was important to them to, one, get paid, and two, get paid for something that was good. And that, that was because they had this huge buildup. I mean, if you think about it, it's it's a huge buildup for like waiting for something. It, 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 you don't want it to be the phantom menace of record albums where you wait 17 years for this record and then it's complete crap. They wanted it to be something that people felt good about when they got it. For the yeah, most it'd be part, bad to wait 21 years for an album for it to be all drum and bass. <laughs> oh, really? The revolution of 1995. We get it again. Thanks, guys. We already did that. It's called dubstep. Thanks. Oh, you think they're dubstep? What? No, 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 no. Oh, drum and bass? Drum and bass. Well, drum and bass is a little more jazzy and a little more melodic. Never mind. Um, uh, It was a joke, sorry. Next week on Lost. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's, I mean, it's an interesting return for them. I think they're going to get a lot more attention. I think they're going to tour and make a ton of money. And then. Well, they're going to do festivals, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, it's going to be um, it's going to be something sort of unrecognizable as a conventional concert or performance, just in terms of they just sort of just play and play and play and play. I think I have to wonder too whether Kevin Shields is bipolar, whether that's part of the reason why the records took so long and why the music is so conflicted. I mean, there's always this sense of conflict in their records; they don't really know where they're going, and I don't think they know where they're going. And I think that's part of the, the niceness of listening to it is that. A lot of the early stuff, you don't know where it's going. And then you listen to Loveless, and it's sort of like everybody's tied the t- tied their tennis shoes, and, it's, and it works. You know, I mean, you listen to Soon, for example, and it just is this sort of record. And all of a sudden, there's a melody and, and traditional things that you would catch in a record in it. And I think that's pretty cool. So, I've just realized the package tour they should go on, right? They should tour with, like, Godspeed, you Black Emperor, and, like, Spiritualized. Well, because it'd be like you'd never go home. <laughs> yeah. Except, except the, you, you could not put uh, Jason <laughs> Pierce and Kevin Shields in the same room. That probably would not be good. Um, I saw them with Dinosaur Jr. and it was insane. So uh, it, it was it was loud. I, it was I, very. Yeah, they were on a weird triple bill with the Ocean Blue, Dinosaur Jr., and My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> All right, from from my bloody Valentine then to the rapid fire section that we that we call um, either do we care or your moment of what the fuck, and I think I I thought about do we care, but this 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 obviously went more into the what the fuck department. Um, in that, <laughs> I never thought I would I would see 
a, a an article talking about how the Boomtown Rats were going to open for Bon Jovi. Um, is the world going to end, Rob? Um, yes and no. Here's the thing. <laughs> um, I tend to think of England when they say a band is opening, it's not quite the same thing because they look at it as a festival. Sort oh, of. I know, I know, yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, oh, there's multiple things. But they will put weird shit on bills. We sort of at least try to make our bills have some sort of sense of purpose on them. And, um, yeah, I, I, going into that, I'd like to think that. Now, I read this. I'm, like, typing away. I'm reading, which is email the agenda. And I had not heard of this. And I'm like, oh, which made a typo? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then I thought, okay, which and Tuffley are fucking with me. So then I dug around a couple more. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is actually going to happen. And then I thought, wow, Bob Geldof saves the world, and he's, he's on tour with Bon Jovi. Then the only thing I could think of is that, well, one guy single-handedly tried to you know, raise money to save the East Coast from a storm. The other guy tried to fight famine in Africa. Let's put them on the same bill. I could just see some guy in a suit thinking that way, right? So I'm trying to think of reasons why they're on the same bill. It's like, okay, they've both done charity work. Yeah, that's it. Uh, they both have a B in their name, and they went in alphabetical order. Uh, no, that doesn't work. Um, they both have gray hair now. No, that doesn't work. Uh, I have no idea. So, uh, you know, I think it's just sort of what it looks like from reading all the stuff on that particular festival they're playing. It looks like whoever booked it didn't really get their homework done. And – I don't know, the Boomtown Rats, ha I, I was unaware that the Boomtown I mean, I know they put out a new album, but I mean, do a lot of people still listen to the Boomtown Rats? Do, um, I, I, I'm imagining in England they still have a pretty large following and they still have a huge cult following, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm mystified here. I just really strangely don't know. Enough, strangely enough, I think, at least in the British music scene, I would figure there could be some crossover between Bon Jovi and Boomtown Rats. Oh because it God. just it just seems that way. <laughs> well, they are they are, uh, um, you know. And actually, if you listen to sort of the newer Bon Jovi and not the metal Bon Jovi, then it kind of makes sense. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm sorry, Robert. Are you saying there's a new Bon Jovi? Well, for years, Bon Jovi, you know, from Living on a Prayer, was like this sort. Of, originally, they sort of started off as heavy rock band, and now they sort of evolved into this sort of like. Not quite so loud rock band. Well, they've done like two country albums. Yeah. So I'm thinking they're not – I'm thinking that whoever booked this throughout the Bon Jovi in the past tense and moved into the Bon Jovi of the now sort of, where their their new stuff is a little more symmetrical with the Boomtown Rats once you throw out the, the Bad Hair MTV Bon Jovi. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay. But call me when uh, – call me um, – when John Cougar Mellencamp opens for the cure and then we'll have a conversation. Uh, yeah, th this just in, uh, white lion have reformed and will be opening for my bloody Valentine. <laughs> uh, uh no, I, but to that end, I just don't get it. I mean, it's, it's just very strange. It's, it's very strange. Uh, uh, so, so toughly, do you have anything to add? Do, do you think that the, uh, the Mayans got it wrong and this is the end of the world? I, I'm shocked you went for the white lion reference. That might've been a, uh, that might have been the end of the world right there. That <laughs> well, bear in mind, Tuffley, it the is same storming podcast. outside where I am, so you know. Well, Tuffley, to be fair, 
in the same podcast, he's referenced Sam Kinison, White Lion, and Gandhi. Clearly, Widge has been replaced by a robot. <laughs> I, I, I think if we get a Cinderella reference out of him in the big topic, I think we've scored three for three. We're going to hang up the phone, and we'll be done with him, because that's just going to stare at him and go, I don't know you anymore. <laughs> The Stepford Wedge. Uh, no, but you guys, nobody's fool. It's a great track. Okay, Wedge. Yeah, sure. Okay. What? <laughs> okay, just because I make, just because I reference the band or the track, does not mean I endorse the uh-huh. band or the track. Okay. No, I, okay. I'm with him there. Yeah, I'm, I yes. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say, Tuffley, you of all people, you, you owned <laughs> yeah. more hair metal than I did. Come on. I did. I did, and and and, and I know that. He owned, so, he owned more hair metal rock records than Ricky Rackman. Thank you. <laughs> that oh, joke is God. funny to two people, and they're both on this podcast. All right. Steering away from insanity. Uh, in, and Ricky in, Rackman. And, and Ricky Rackman, which is in the thesaurus. That's the, that's the synonym. Um, you have uh, to ask your parents. Yes. Uh, 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 and look it up on Usenet. Um, if, you, if, if you see the news, then the Parlophone record label has been uh, – and all of their various and sundry catalogs has been swallowed up by Warner Music – for the uh, the low low price of seven hundred and sixty five million dollars, I think this goes into the do we care at the end of the day? Is this going to make any difference to anyone? Toughly, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the interesting part of that is that somehow they were able to exclude the Beatles catalog from the Parlophone sale, and I wonder if it includes. And I wonder when they sold it, if by Beatles catalog it also includes John Lennon's catalog, uh, because that yeah. was also a Parlophone. Okay. So basically, none of the Beatles were involved in this sale, uh, which is interesting. I think the other interesting thing is um, EMI spent, what, roughly two, three years trying to renegotiate rights with uh, – because we reported on this with Pink Floyd. Right. Uh, before the before the remasters came out, um, which I also find interesting that you know suddenly, a- immediately after those deals were in place, that uh, EMI went, went under and got sold to someone else. So – uh, are these deals going to have to be restructured? I would imagine in the case of Pink Floyd, probably. Um, so we we could be going through the Pink Floyd thing again very shortly uh, with new owners. Um, but I think it'll be interesting uh, as far as, I mean, Radiohead's catalog, Radiohead have been trying to get their master tapes back for a while now. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. Um, uh, there's a couple of interesting points uh, that I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how they play out when 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 things uh, when the dust settles a bit more. But uh, I, does does this? I know that Parlophone was the label that um, a lot of people were leaving. Was the uh, short bus that people were getting off of to get off of EMI? So we'll see if uh, either they get artists back or not. But uh, we'll have to see. All right, uh, Rob, what are your thoughts on this? Well. Okay, a couple things. Um, just bear with me for a minute, okay? Okay. Pink Floyd catalog. Last year, reissued, remastered, released, right? Right. Radiohead catalog. Remastered, reissued, released. Blur. Back catalog. Reissued and released. The three big Parlophone bands that were on EMI all got released before the label does quote unquote dissolves, right? So deals like this usually take a while to be made, meaning this has probably been brewing for a year or at least longer, which mean, which tells me one, Parlophone is a subsidy of EMI, 
EMI Capital Virgin, at least in the old days, it was EMI Capital Virgin, Parlophone, all sort of under one umbrella of EMI, right? And EMI has basically been going under because they just sold off a, a, a chunk of it to different labels. They've been selling, they've been selling the mothership off for well, a while. Well, yeah, Universal took it over, and it was because that um, Universal was told that uh, it would be anti, it would be a, a monopoly basically if they had that much stuff. Yeah, they had to sell Parlophone. Yeah, and it's interesting because EMI had a huge classical section, which should you know a lot of a lot of that recording stuff was completely wanted by a whole different separate genre of music. But Parlophone is is interesting because it it was a label that really took a lot of chances with artists. It took a lot of um, bands and really built them up and did well. The Parlophone bands from the '80s and '90s that sort of made it on Parlophone. I mean, the early Pet Shop Boy records were on Parlophone. You had um, Radiohead and Blur both on Parlophone at one point. So they, they sort of at one point were a very prestigious kind of label to be on for a very long time. Um, and then EMI ran into financial troubles and sold them off. So it's kind of like, okay, the Beatles deals are already done. Those are out of it because that's pre-existing, what they call pre-existing litigation. Then you have these other bands, none of which we might add are happy, right? So they probably realized we're selling off this label. Let's release all of this stuff and get our last gasp of money before we hand the keys over. You know, let's take the car for that drive around Chicago before we get Ferris Bueller back the keys. So nice. um, that's kind of, I think, what this is. And, you know, I don't think you're going to see, yes, they own the catalog, but you're not going to see them get reissued for a while because a lot of the stuff sort of just came out. But I think that, what it will do is I think it probably affects more of the licensing and the use of music for uh, what they like for sound, you know, when it's in, when it's in songs and, and or when their songs are in like movies and TVs and things like that. I think it matters more for that probably than, than people think. And it's kind of sad because Parlophone was one of the great English record labels, sort of longstanding traditional labels and it's gone and it's kind of a bummer. Uh, I'm sure to a certain extent the members of Pink Floyd and Radiohead are probably happy because I, I get the vibe that the bands that were on Parlophone really liked the Parlophone people. But when it went outside the perimeter of uh, Parlophone is when it got dicey. And I think, you know, that probably was the death knell of the label is that, you know, for a while they had a core group of bands that made records and they all left the label to go to other places and got bigger. And they didn't restock their artists with anything that was really selling. So I think that's part of the reason why the label went away. Um, I think it's interesting because now we have three huge labels. And someday we'll, we'll, someday we'll make the flow chart of what labels own what. But basically there's Warner, uh, Sony Music, and Universal are now the three vague musical conglomerates left in the world. Warner has been in third place forever. Um, if you could say, you know, it was weird. Yeah, Warner Brothers in third place at something. But then Warner owns everything. You know, what Disney doesn't own is owned by Time Warner. So, uh, Well, Warner isn't Warner specifically. Yeah, because I know. Warner is, is its own spin-off thing. company that Capital so, Investment Firms bought from Warner about 10 years yeah, ago. But Universal sort of bought up a bunch of EMI. And sort of in order to keep up and stay in the game, they bought Parlophone. So... It gives them a huge amount of back catalog. It gives them a chance to do um, a lot of things with what's there. And they might be mining some things that, are, that have been sitting in vaults for a while and coming out. They may be doing that 
And they do that pretty well because you get Rhino with Warner. So yeah. you might be seeing some really cool Rhino Pink Floyd stuff where it's stuff that's not issued. Or you might get uh, some nice compilations of things somewhere down the line of like unreleased tracks or whatever. But I think it's primarily to get to the back catalog. I think it's primarily to get to um, you know the publishing and uh, the, the the merchandising and back sales. Um, but as far as I know, too, I'm not sure whether a lot of those bands did a lot with their digital platforms. I mean, one of the reasons I think why EMI went under is they didn't really get on the digital platforms until later. So I think that as they put a lot of this stuff out, I mean, you can get their stuff on iTunes and, and things like that. But I think that they will be able to market and present that music to a whole new generation of people better than EMI or Parlophone could. And I think that although I don't know how they're going to do it or what they're going to do, I think that they're going to be able to use that catalog and make some money off of it uh, somewhere down the road. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad investment because if you're going to buy <clears throat> EMI in general, a lot of EMI is like, okay, yeah, you get some pretty great stuff with EMI, but you know, when you buy EMI, you also get Corey Hart, you get EMF, you get this like, you Robbie get Baltimore, Williams. you get this collection of just stuff. But when you get Parlophone, it kind of it kind of gets a little better. Um, and I don't have the list in front of me of all the bands that are on their label, but you get a little bit more selling deep catalog artist stuff. So I think that in the long run, that may be that may be a pretty good pretty good move for them. Now, now is Virgin still on the block? I think Virgin was one of the one of the other sub imprints that were supposed to be. Yeah, and I don't know, uh, and it's weird. Like I know the Electra imprint, for example, has sort of been dormant for a while, and that's come back. And I think the Virgin implant uh, imprint is coming back <clears throat> at some point as well too. I don't really know what's going on with with Virgin. Um, well, reportedly Branson, when uh, when it first went on the block, Branson wanted it back and made a bid for it, but I don't know yeah. what was done with that. But I think Virgin is still on the block here. Yeah. Uh, which could be a Kickstarter campaign for the soundboard is that we could buy Virgin Records if you help us. Yeah. Well, and, and I just like to point out to uh, to Warner Music if you guys try to uh, come up with like an ultimate immersion sets for the Pink Floyd albums that I've purchased, I will fucking stab you. So there you go. He'll buy them anyway, but then he'll stab. I, you. I know, I know, I know. And, and when it comes to the like the the commemorative butcher knife, I will stab you. But I know, for example, that Floyd had a very good relationship with Parlophone. And that some of those people at Parlophone are the only reason that those reissues got out is that I mean those two those two guys got in that room because people at Parlophone made it happen. So <clears throat> I think somewhere along the line things got really nasty with that label. And I don't necessarily think it's the label. I think it's in the eighties and nineties when labels started getting bought up and merged and, and distributed, I think that sort of fucked everything up. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of sad, really, because Parlophone's been this amazing label, going back to, I want to say the twenties or thirties, and I may be wrong, but it's a fairly old label. Um, it's just kind of a bummer that they're gone now. So, and the the great thing about Parlophone is that as a, as a label, they, they totally were into the idea of packaging. Some of the best records I bought in the uh in the eighties and nineties that were on Parlophone, their records were like beautifully packaged. Uh, when they put out twelve inch singles, they made sure you had more than like one track or you had multiple B sides and they really made it a point to give you something when you bought their records. And it's just kind of sad that it's all deteriorated and gone to hell. Yeah. 
Well, there you go. To, to close that out, I will. I just looked it up real quick. Um, the British branch of Parlophone was formed in 1923, but yeah. the record label itself was founded in Germany in 1896. So there you go. Yeah. There, there you, there's your, uh, uh, there, there's your bit of insane trivia for this episode. All right. So moving right along to what could be potentially the first big topic of the podcast um, is the fact that. Uh, uh, toughly, as you pointed out, I believe it's the 50th anniversary birthday, whatever you want to call it, of uh, the something. Beatles. Something of the Beatles, and I think we're counting that from the release of "Please Please Me," right? So 19, yes, uh, 1963. The first album. Yeah, so because the, uh, "I Want to Hold Your Hand" was the single yep, release six, that was earlier, and "Love Me Do" I think was also 62. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, but yeah, so "Please Please Me" 50 years ago, and that's uh, in March, I believe. So we're we're coming up on that. So this is very timely. Um, and I realized that the Beatles, um, and 50 years of the Beatles is a huge, we could, we could do a series of soundboards about the Beatles, or I could anyway, because I, I grew up, you know, on the Beatles. I'm sure I'm, you know, you guys are probably the same way, but me, I'm sort of ridiculous about it. So I, I tried to come up with a few, uh, you know, points on the sort of PowerPoint presentation here that we could hit to try to try to focus our already scattered uh, triumvirate of brains onto this, and and first I would like to put out a uh, a, a bold statement, and I want to get you guys' reaction is, and that would be this: is that <clears throat> the Beatles is the um uh, is the is one of the few bands that if you're going to be in a band, you have to deal with the Beatles. You can't sort of get away from them. You either have to say yes to the Beatles. Or no to the Beatles. You have to react for or against them in some form or fashion. Is it possible to be a rock band and not owe something somewhere to the Beatles? I guess is my question. So I mean, toughly, what do you what do you think on that? Is that is that too bold? Am I being insane? I don't think so. I think one of the things about the Beatles is that they were allowed to change. They were big enough where they were allowed to, to sound completely different later. Uh, which which served you know everybody from REM to U2 down the road, uh, you know let's sound different every album, um, and they were big enough to hey we're gonna put this out and sound different and it didn't they didn't fall flat on their face so yeah I think you dep- depending on whether you're you know a simple you know little pop band or you know a garage band you can still sit there and go yeah we can we can we can sound we can change our sound later. We we can maybe be allowed to evolve later mm. uh, because of the Beatles. So yeah, I I, I think you're onto something. Uh, Rob, Rob, what do you think? Uh, I'm kind of mixed on this because while at the same time I I, I I I I agree with you, but it's also I do believe the 50th anniversary of the Rolling Stones, and I would think that if you're in a band. Besides having to deal with the Beatles, you also kind of have to deal with the Stones in many ways, shape, or form, too. Mm. Um, but I think that where it's more interesting with the Beatles is a couple things. One is all of anything that we've basically learned about fame or being a rock star or having things like the Grammys that turn into a musical event. All of that sort of happened uh, because of the Beatles. I mean, yeah, Elvis had people screaming at him and things like that, but it's I mean, the, the hysteria of the Beatles' trip to America sort of kicked off the idea of the 
record the uh, recording artist as mega superstar and i think a lot of that you could trace to the beatles so i think that being in a band and looking at that is pretty daunting uh in the same way looking at the stones is but they're different bands but they're different ways i mean this the stones wore their the blues and soul music a little deeper than the beatles where the the beatles certainly took you know the greatness of an elvis record or a little richard record and incorporated it um i think that that is but they did it in in a little more accessible way Mm. So I think that you're in. A, I think when you look at the Beatles, if you're in a band now, and you look at the Beatles, you're like, man, we got to deal with the Beatles here. You know, I think one, it's hard to not be a band, and 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 like the Beatles and sort of talk about them or when you hang out play you know chords from them or something. But I also think that it's a little daunting because when you take the Beatles, you have to sort of take the uh, the carpet behind them that's you know swept up all the all their influences and figure out you know. I like the Beatles and I like little Richard. How do I incorporate this into my music or how do Mm. I bring Elvis in? You know, how do we, there's a lot of stuff that comes with the Beatles that isn't just the records the Beatles made. Um, Very true. And I think you have to do that. And and that's, that's from a band point. I'm not even in a band, but looking at it in a completely separate way uh, from which, and that's as someone who has to play, you know, records on the radio back or when that happened. Um, or even, you know, out in a bar, the Beatles are a beast because, okay, I'm going to play the Beatles. Oh, shit. Well, what Beatles song am I going to play? You right. know, I mean, you know, sort of the one exception to it is the is the take, take All With You record, Twist and Shout. You can always play anywhere and everyone likes it in the same way that Wild Thing was. But, um, you know, there's just a time when you can play Hello, Goodbye. There's a time when you can play Help. There's a time when you can play... Uh, Helter Skelter, all love, or yeah, or Helter Skelter, or <laughs> Yellow Submarine, always sort of works in a in a weird drunken bar kind of way. So it's interesting because you, if you're a band and you're dealing with the Beatles, you can always bring the uh, bring an audience to your attention by covering to your side by covering the Beatles, uh, not and, and that's musically, but then you also have to take the mentality of the Beatles culturally. And how you approach your job as a musician, as a musician, and how you approach the job of being a musician who evolves, changes, and takes out outside influences, you have to deal with the Beatles. Um, but you know, as someone, when you play records, you have to put them in a different context of where the hell, how the hell do you follow? I mean, it's almost like the Beatles with record to record are a completely different band, almost. Mm. Um, how do you take that? You know, and then how do you? dare play a Beatle record that that at some point someone's going to be upset with you and say, I like that track, but you should have played. I mean, you can never be at a party and play one Beatle record without somebody else telling you you should have played another one. Huh. Or you can never you know, be a, be a band and cover a Beatle song without someone saying, oh, that song's great because you should have done this. You know, it's kind of like they've become the measuring stick of the late 20th and 21st century for music. Mm. Um you know, Nirvana, when they broke, people compared it to the Beatles. And Kurt Cobain was very, you know, well, the Beatles came at their own time. They did their own thing. Let's not detract from how good the Beatles were by comparing them to us because we are in no way, shape, or form as good as the Beatles. I mean, uh, you, you know, you get that. And then you get, you know, with One Direction in England, they say, oh, they're the new Beatles. You know, every band that comes along to a certain extent gets compared to they're the new Beatles. You know, um, they they don't always say that they're the new Stones, which is why I think eventually the the Beatles argument is stronger than the Stones argument. 
But um, that generation, those two bands, and probably the Kinks as, as, as a follow-up, are pretty closely linked in musical influencing upon bands now. And I think if you're a musician and you have to sort of pick your path, you're like, okay, well, we could be like the Stones that are built on you know funk and soul and uh, a little bit of blues and a very prolific singer. We could do that. We could be the Kinks and sort of have you know odd and interesting records and evolve and change and do concept albums. Or we could do the Beatles, where literally every record is listenable, enjoyable, and they have a ton of pop records, and they knew how to cap a sound that everyone could listen to at a particular time. So while I don't want to say they're the safe bet by demeaning the fact that, uh, that they were great, um, they're the safer road of all those bands of that era to follow. They're mm. also were the most successful. Um, you know, even bands like Metallica owe something in to the Beatles. I mean, and if you count the number of concerts, if you're of a certain age that you go to, and the in-concert between music, either before, after, or between bands, is the Beatles. I, I know for me, I heard a ton of bands where the, the, the records they played in between sets were Beatle records. So, mm. um, I think to your point about being in a band and having them be sort of the elephant in a room, sort of crosses over everywhere. Yeah. I think if you're a music critic and you want to talk about a band, you know, to a certain extent, not as much necessarily now, but like you're writing about, say, this, like Tony Fletcher talked about this when he was writing about his book on the Smiths, is he's like, you know, the Smiths were kind of like the Beatles of their era. And they had that measuring stick held up against them as being, quote, unquote, the, in, in the same vein as the Beatles in terms of what they did with, as a singles band. Blur had it later. Radiohead had it later when they started doing when they made the jump from um, the Benz into um, OK Computer. People were like, "Oh, this is the new Beatles." The Flaming Lips have gotten it to a certain extent. So there's always this sort of like, "Oh, they're evolving in a way like the Beatles did." Is is always kind of used by critics and DJs and BJs and people that blog about music. So I think that your point about they're the they're the thing that a band has to deal with. I think is sort of with time and the advancement of technology permeated into other mediums as mm. well. Well, that makes total sense, and 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 it leads uh, into one of my other points that I was going to make is is you know talking about the the fact that they uh, evolved and made a point of wanting to be different and not just play you know I want to hold your hand for their entire career. Um, my question was you know they. They seem to be a different band every time they showed up, and I mean, I know you you mentioned like you know other bands that have tried to change and evolve like Radiohead and and U2 and whatnot. But I mean, I I have seen where bands that do change will want to go back and and try to you know they'll change and they'll experiment, but they'll come back to what they do, right? The the core yeah. of what they do. Whereas the Beatles, I mean, if you go if you start with Please Please Me. And then you then you realize you're you're on a road that's going to take you, um, you know, to Revolver and then to Sgt. Pepper and then to the fucking White Album and then you know on and on and just more and more far. I mean, they never went back. I think is the thing. Yeah, I, I do think the closest they came to going back, ironically, yeah. was Get Back, and that was probably as close. Yeah, I mean, that's not very close, but I no. think that's about as close as you could get to sort of the feel and the sort of instantaneous sound of those early records. Yeah, no, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that was the original intention to let it be anyway, so. 
Well, and, and well, well, I guess my my the the core question that I wanted to ask that I was thinking about this is, you know, is there another band that has evolved that you know far from where they started, and yet retained the same lineup? Because um, I mean, because 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 I instantly I instantly thought of like Pink Floyd because you go from Piper at the Gates of Dawn to Division Bell, and that's a yeah. hell of a road. But then you go well. You know, well, you, lo you lost Sid, and then you you gained David, and you lost Roger. Yeah. So, I mean, what what do you the think? Only, Rob, the only with? thing, the only things I can think of are, are obviously the Kinks, who went from you really got me into mm. Arthur, into Shangri La, yeah. into Village Green. Yeah, true. But, yeah, but they kind of stopped because yeah. they broke up. The Stones, to a point. Yeah, but you can make that. the argument with the Stones that they never really did get out of their comfort zone of, of exactly. Of the but band. I mean, they've made the effort to. I mean, yeah. I, I like to use the word elegant when I describe the way the Beatles transitioned from album to album. Yeah, because yeah. it was that yeah. sort of very graceful, almost forgiving way that they did it. I mean, they they got a free pass at a time when a lot of other bands didn't. It was just sort of interesting. Well, I, um, I think what helped in the Beatles case was that when they did something did, different, it didn't flop. The audience yeah. went with them, yeah. um, which is the trick that every band would kill for. Yeah, and I, w I would say, you know, I would say, you know, re reaching out, you know, maybe the Stones and the Kings, as I said, mm. probably the closest thing that I can think of just off the top of my head until you two prove me wrong uh, <laughs> might be David Bowie. Um or, or or Radiohead because I know there's a lot of people like I've listened to Radiohead from every record on. Mm. I haven't necessarily loved every record, but I kind of get what they're trying to do. Yeah. But I don't think they did it in a commercially. I I, I think what you're going for in ter is in terms of not just you know critical acclaim and fan acclaim, but critical pop success like numbers, financial numbers, you know pop chart success, tangible success based on is this a hit record plus audience being still liking them, plus critics liking them. That's kind of the equation I see you measuring this by. Yeah, yeah I mean, cause it's, and it's a hell of an equation. I mean, like you said. But, it's, uh, it's... Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was thinking you were going for. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I see a lot of people kind of getting close to it, mm. but not quite the same way. I mean, I think Radiohead kind of, um, although sometimes you just kind of wonder what they're doing. The Flaming Lips are sort of the same way. Um, maybe ELO was getting there in the same way that they were sort of changing some things up and around. Oddly enough, it's, it's going to think weird. You're gonna, I'm going to say this and you think it's totally bizarre out of the box, but then it'll make a little more sense as time goes on. Uh, the Bee Gees, because the Bee Gees started off as sort of a uh, folky kind of band, then kind of turned into the Beatles, and then sort of built up, turned into a disco band, and then got really sort of mellow again. But again, their peak sort of died after the early 80s. Mm. So there's been a lot of bands that have tried to do it. Um, uh, you know, outside of Bowie or maybe, you know, Prince, I can't think of anybody that sort of tried to mix up styles and, and pull it off in a way that's been commercially successful. Mm. Tuffley, what do, you, what do you think? Is there anybody else that springs to mind? Well, you two have, you two have done it at least once. Um, and I would say the the band version, the transition from the you know epic band version from the '80s to like uh, Octung Baby, mm. yeah, that that version of the band. Now, whether you want to argue the the artistic merits of that move, um, they pretty much did it and didn't lose any sales by doing it. Mm. Um, and in that sense, now they try. I think the trick is they tried to do it again. 
uh, later on after sort of after a while, after they had gone, after they felt they'd gone the electronic route about as far as they could and tried to be a rock band again. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, and winding themselves back. But um, I, I think you could make the argument that at least you two at least were able to pull it off once. Well, um, you could argue that they pulled it off with Octung Baby coming out yeah. of all the Rattle and Hum and Unforgettable Fire. Yeah. They were kind of building up to Octung Baby, and you could see that. And I've learned to appreciate Octung Baby with the exception of Mysterious Waves um, upon hindsight. Yeah. Uh, I've learned to appreciate it a little more. And then that all that you can't leave behind or whatever that they did a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, that again, I think was the second time they did it, sort of. Yeah. But then you have Pop, and you have uh, the other records after that that sort of uh, weren't quite the same. So I think I think you're onto something with you two sort of trying to emulate that. Yeah. But they but they've also made it a point to try to be. I mean, I I can sort of when I, when I look at that, it's like okay. They really want to be the Beatles. I mean, I kind of, I, I kind of feel like in many ways they try too hard. Yeah. Um, and you know, and Blur changed. I mean, Blur changed a lot from album to album too. I mean, the difference that you get from Park Life into, um, you know, some other stuff is, is, well, like, is kind of. A, well, even if you go from the first album to Modern Life is rubbish. Yeah. You know, I think it's a complete sea change. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I think I think sort of. Blur, in terms of style, is probably the style copy of, of U2 is probably, or of uh, the Beatles, is probably more true to form. But the commercial aspect of it is probably more U2. And I'm not sure that you can argue. I think, in order for Widget's ar argument to hold, you have to have, you can't have a misstep. Yeah, I yeah, I mean that I I think I think that you laying out the sort of criteria that I had in mind of the equation. I mean, like I said, it is a daunting equation. It is the stars lining up and your horoscope coming true and winning the lottery yeah. and all of that stuff all in one. But I Yeah, and I and I think the two bands that really could have made it work. Mm. Um that never really got a chance. I think the Doors might have been able to do some really mm. interesting things. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, I, I think the doors would have been far more interesting than people expected later. I agree. Um, musically down the road. And then I also think, you know, to a certain extent, when you listen to Nirvana, um, I think a Nirvana, had they stayed in form now, would, with based on just David Grohl's musical growth. Yeah. Um, and and the I mean, Cobain sort of had that connection that the Beatles sort of had to old blues records and old soul records and sort of a deep appreciation of a musical heritage as well. And I think that's part of the problem we don't have now is that a lot of these bands, in order to really get the Beatles, you have to get the band that made the Beatles. Mm. Um, and I think that's part of it too, because I think in the eighties people, you know, Echo and the Bunnymen were trying so hard to copy the doors and the Beatles and the stones that they didn't really do anything new. And, you know, a lot of these bands in the eighties and nineties sort of did that until, you know, you got to Nirvana and you got to blur and you got to Radiohead and some of these other guys that sort of like, you know, I listened to lots of other records. I mean, Damon, Damon Alburn probably is as more far as, as musical literate about different styles of musical music as George Harrison was mm. or even Lennon. And I think that you have to have a musical literacy to not to, not to appreciate the Beatles, 
But in terms of to have the stamina to get into that, it, 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 think of it as a boxing match. In order to have that kind of stamina to stay in the ring, you have to sort of be able to understand, as I said before, the Beatles and everything that comes with them. Right. And I don't think now that people growing up appreciate the influences of the Beatles as much as the, as the Beatles did. I mean, we have the Who, too, which are, which are kind of interesting as well, which I just thought of. But – I, again, I think really the beauty of the Beatles is they took they wore the, they wore the stuff that they loved on their sleeves. You know, they listened to Little Richard. You hear Little Richard in the early records. They started hanging out with the Maharishi. You hear the Maharishi influence on the right. Records, you know, you can sort of hear their self discovery. Like, hey, we listen to this stuff. It's cool, and you can pinpoint their albums in time, their interest in what they listened to and what drove them for each record based on sort of their interviews and everything at the time. Right. And I don't think now. We have it, – it's kind of changing now because the internet and, and I think new media sort of made that change. But I think we had sort of a, this dormant period in the 80s and 90s where bands were coming up that didn't – not every band, but didn't really appreciate um, the stuff that came before it. And a lot of that is because the idea of punk was, you know, screw everything else, we're doing something new. And everyone, I think, was so into doing something new or doing the next big thing that nobody took all the great things of old records and put them in their records like the Beatles did. Right. Well, and, 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 and the other no, no, the, no, the other band that I that I thought of. I mean, I mentioned them before, but I would have been because you mentioned the Doors, and I think it's a great call. But I, I would have been. There's another alternate universe somewhere where we didn't lose Sid Barrett, and the Pink Floyd discography would have been very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll say that, and then I'll I'll move on to my my next point here, and this is this is more of a not really a question, but just something that, okay, like with the series Faulty Towers, okay, <laughs> no yeah. there, no, there's a point behind this. To me, and to a lot of other people, when you realize you realize over and over again that Faulty Towers is twelve episodes long, just twelve episodes, yeah. and and you'll you'll know this, and you'll watch it. And you'll remember it, and you'll have to remind yourself because it's so good. It feels like surely there must be more. But when I was looking at this, I reminded myself again that even if you go, okay, Love Me Do and 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 such, 1962, Beatles are over in 1970, so that's eight years. Yeah. All the stuff that we're talking about, <coughs> eight years. So and then that that just blows my mind. I mean, is that am I? I mean, toughly, do you does that? Are you okay with that, or does that blow your mind too? Because I mean, it's, that's fucking crazy to me. Well, well, artificially, it's it's 1970. It's actually 1969. They just didn't tell anybody. That's <laughs> um, true. That's very true. Um, so that's that's even more crazy that 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 amount of evolution in a band happened in, I guess, if you want to say it, seven years. Yeah, yeah. Um, because look at it. Uh, I mean, the average. I guess the average, uh, and maybe we're used to this because of the lifespan of bands now, because, dear God, the Rolling Stones are still going. We'll get to that in a second. But, you know, the average, even even bands that we like, um, the average life lifespan of bands is four years, maybe. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe you, you make your big impact, you have a couple of hits, you do another record, and then you're pretty much done. Um you know, then it's pretty much if you can if you can nail the nostalgia crowd a couple of years later, great. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's your four years. Have a nice day. Um, 
the Beatles managed to have several careers in the course of, you know, they started out being, you know, the poppy make girls scream band. Um, they had the middle bit, which was, you know, the, uh, the revolver and, 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 and Sergeant Pepper kind of the, the psychedelic kind of influence. Um, and then they went to even, even when the transition from that to stuff like the white album is pretty quick. Yeah, uh, well, Sergeant Pepper 67 and White Album 68. Yeah. So, I mean, once they started changing, they changed because you got White Album 68, Yellow Submarine 69, Abbey Road also 69, and then like you said, that that means Let It Be well, was it, 69 and then eventually well, it, 70. Let It Be would have been 68 too, wouldn't it? Since they recorded it before Abbey Road. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. So, I mean, so really Abbey Road is your that's yeah. where that's that's it. So you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. And, 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 of course, then you have crazy stuff like Magical Mystery Tour in there as well, which I think was, what, 67? So. Yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was within the Sgt. Pepper period because the uh, the American release of uh, Magical Mystery Tour included the uh, singles that weren't on Sgt. Pepper so that they'd appear on an album somewhere. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes, that's that's right. So. So I mean, I mean, Rob, what what do you think about this? I mean, it's like like Tuffley was saying, seven years for all of that. Um. Well, first of all, I thought of another band. Oh, oh, what's that? And, and they're current. Yeah. The Arctic Monkeys. Because you get the pop rawness right. of the early records, then you move into for us an adolescent, then you get Crying Lightning and Are You Mine and the sort of dirty sort of stuff later. Just saying. No, no, it's, no. That's that's. It's that's, nowhere near the Beatles, but it's yeah. But um, moving back to your question, I mean, yeah, it's eight years. Now, the, probably the best thing about the Beatles was their timing because the, Britain was coming out of austerity Britain and really wanting to sort of cut assert loose, themselves. culturally cut loose and assert themselves and do something. Uh, their youth were bored out of their mind and – they took the sort of the rough and ready approach to we like American records. Let's do this ourselves. Screw this. And, you know, when they made the, when they made those first records, they didn't make them to get big in America. They just wanted to be in a band. You know, a lot of people forget that, that this wasn't now where you make a record and you think, Oh, well, it's going to get released in America here. And they weren't thinking like that. So it's even bigger when you think about the, the crossover between bands was non-existent at the time. I mean, you have to, you have to realize that, England is in a little square box over here, and America's the big box over here. And the so Beatles them, broke the boxes. Exactly. I mean, that, that, that further compounds the eight years. It's just, the, just you know, the, the, the ball shattered and the glass was flying everywhere. So, I mean, I think they were a band that sort of, because of the dynamics of the people in them. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a band that has, the, I mean, a band would almost be failure-proof if it had, Paul McCartney, Paul, McCart Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and John Lennon in the same band. I mean, three distinct musical styles, three distinct um, opinions about how to make music, but they all go into one room, and a little bit of each one rubs off into another one just enough to make all those records. And that's really remarkable, and it's a pretty good run. Um, and with the egos involved, especially, it's amazing nobody shot each other. I mean, I think that they had to walk away when they walked away because if they didn't, I think that they would have physically came to blows. I think it was to the point where they sort of felt like, 
we are to the point now where we can repair a friendship, maybe not right now, but later. This is something that's fixable. We just need a break from each other. Let's right. walk away. You know. Well, Ringo at Georgia by that point had already left what twice. Yeah, and I think yeah. too, I think too that the pressure of being the first of doing that was really going on them. And and you know, as much as like the dreaded second record is now of a pressure by a label. If you don't make a second great record, you're dumped, right? But if the Beatles think about it. If the Beatles by 1968 had made a crap record. It could have, it would have killed them. I mean, which is hard to believe, but it, it would have just pretty much taken their pre-existing history and just sort of well, well, that's it for them, you know. So walking out, sort of, even though it was traumatic and tumultuous, it is still perceived as the Beatles, in some way, shape, or form, ending it kind of on their terms, right, and at the top of their game. So I think that speaks volumes to that they were also smart enough musicians to know. What had happened, again, going back to this other thing, to the people they liked before them and how the lingering on after your prime kills you. You know, it's the high fidelity effect. Is it better to fade away or not fade away? So, um, And that goes directly into the next thing that I was going to bring up was, I mean, the thing that I mentioned, and I normally mention this when we're talking about, you know, uh, comic books and books and whatever else, but one of my favorite Alan Moore quotes was, he said the reason a legend is a legend is because it ends. Yeah. Legends have endings, you know, um, Robin Hood has an ending. King Arthur has an ending. So, um, so it, it, the fact that they did stop when they did, I mean, you're saying that was, you know, smart of them as musicians to do so. I, I would agree and say that it's, if they had kept going, then, I mean, that's the one thing you can say about the Stones is like, like while the Stones are much beloved and the fact that they're still doing it is awesome and whatever else, I think somewhere in the back of everybody's head, they are still going. Why? I mean, yes, we, we all know that they will pro- you will have to pry the guitar uh, and the mic and the, the drums. I personally think the drummer's already dead, but I, th- I think he's been revived. But. I mean, the drum, you will have to, they, they will die on stage, right? We all know that. But but still, most people, there's a certain feeling like, well, why don't they just stop, you know? Or, uh, or at yeah. least there's a full list of people who can yeah. list the last time the Rolling Stones had a relevant album. Well, there you go. Yeah, everybody's yeah. got an opinion on that. But I, I, so I think, is is the legend of the Beatles fully cemented by the fact that they said, okay, here's where I, we walk away? I know that, well... In the same way that Springsteen has said, in a, in, and Springsteen's an artist who's changed from album to album similar to the Beatles. Springsteen has ever said, too, that he'll walk away if he thinks he makes a record that isn't important or is just horrible. You know, he's just, I'm done, right? So I think there is something to be said about an artist recognizing, an intelligent artist realizing this is time to quit, right? But I think that it not only, I think that them walking away, the, I think that the way the Beatles ended and walked away and realized as a band that each one of them had their own individual musical futures and you know, put, trying to put myself into their mindset at the time. They all knew they had their own musical futures. They all knew that they would still be fine with cash. They could make whatever music they wanted to on their own. They would still, within a reasonable amount of time, remain friends. And that any time they wanted, I mean, Paul McCartney has said, they knew that any time they wanted, they could get back together and just fall back into place. So there was kind of a belief that if they ever went into a room again, anytime, any place, that would happen. 
right? It came close to happening once, but um, I I think that that cemented their legacy. Actually, I think mm-hmm. that um, you, I, you know I think that writing there is something beautiful about riding out into the sunset, and I think yeah. the Beatles did that. And I think that while all their fans wanted them to get back together and play again and, and do all of that, I think that uh, you know, as someone who loves the Beatles, I almost appreciate it more yeah. that they walked away when they did because I, I love the fact that I can put on any Beatle record, listen to it at any time, and not feel let down. And I can't say that about a whole lot of other artists. That's very so, true. I think that I think that sort of defines them in, in many ways. I don't think it defines them musically, mm. but I think that defines them culturally, kind of, you know. Yeah. And I think it also confounded a whole lot of people because, you know, it's not the Beatles quitting music and walking away from the Beatles at the time would be like Chaplin walking away from silent film, kind of, you know. Mm. Um, it was just sort of like, really, they're doing this? What? I mean, it really shocked a lot of people, from what I understand. Yeah. It pretty much just completely threw the music world into a dither about it. And I think that the Beatles wrote the book on, well, they reinvented the book on sort of how to be a music star when they started. And I think they completely reinvented it again at the end. And I think that much like you said, a band being the Beatles is a daunting thing. I think that now a band has to struggle not only with the musical legacy of the Beatles, but knowing when the band is truly over and when it is when is a fight between two songwriters just a spat or when is it time to end the band. Mm. I think that's an issue that the Beatles have left in the mind of every sort of tandem of musicians ever since. Mm. Uh, Tuffley, what do you what do you think on that? Is it is it cemented because of because uh, of the ending? Well, see, I'm trying to think of – I'm trying to take this question another route. I'm yeah. trying to think of what the Beatles would have been like past 1970. Oh, Jesus. I, can you – I mean, is there even a way to – I mean, where, is there where, even a way to do where that? Is, where is the Beatles' prog album? I mean, where is, where is oh, the oh. – where is the Beatles' California – Country leaning, discoy kind of. No, I there can't imagine. There would not be a discoy record. I, I I can't imagine that. Um, you know, there there are there are other points that you could kind of think about where, you know, you could think about well, okay, if the band had continued, they probably John would have taken a backseat. I think to George's writing. I think I think George and Paul would have been the predominant writers in the band at that point. Uh, because especially when you get to to around Abbey Road, John had no interest in writing Beatles songs at all. Mm. Well, um, and 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 again, I think that Harrison becomes uh, as that band grows. Harrison becomes the Johnny Marr or the Keith Richards that plays on other people's records. Yeah, and I think McCartney is very much involved in you know running the band and being in the band and being the core of the band. And I think Lennon takes a backseat to the songwriting, but becomes very much the social conscience of the band. Um, that band says quite a lot about Vietnam. That that, that band says an awful lot about um, literally every political issue that happened through the early 80s, I think, that they're involved in. You know? Yeah. Um, Live Aid is a whole new ball game if the Beatles play it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but- and you could do that. What if, like, okay, how do the Beatles get past the seventies? 
Yeah, well, you know, that's always that's always an interesting. The Be- well, the Beatles would have pretty much. I think the Beatles would have grown more along the lines of a Led Zeppelin than along the lines of a Bee Gees or a disco band. I think they would have gone. They probably would have gotten more electric, and they probably would have gotten a little more uh, rough, and I think they would have gotten more political. Yeah. Well, but but here's here's the other thing that I find toughly your 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 idea is, is interesting and the live aid idea is interesting and, and 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 like you guys I'm torn between well I'm glad it was over when it was over but I also want more because you want more but if you think about it let's say the Beatles don't end does that mean we don't get Imagine does that mean we don't get All Things Must Pass nope. does that mean we don't get Band nope. on the Run nope I think we would have gotten I think we would have gotten All Things Must Pass at least I think we would have gotten that because that that well, a lot of George George had written. You have to understand a lot of all things must pass were rejected Beatles songs to begin with. Oh yeah, I know. But we but, still we would have still gotten Lennon solo records. I think. I think Lennon still would have done solo records. Oh, I'm sure they all would have done I, solo I think, records. And and I think he has a point there because, like I said, I had the feeling that particularly if you look at Abbey Road, that you know George Harrison George Harrison's songs dominated that album. Uh, it wasn't Lennon. It wasn't a whole lot of Lennon McCartney compositions on that record. It was a lot yeah. of George had a lot of songs on that record. Um, yeah. And I think as go, had they progressed forward from Abbey Road, I think George might have might have gotten a lot more songs on the record than John did. And I think John would have snuck off to do a solo records and would have been. Yeah, as long I mean, as John was allowed to sneak off and do records with Yoko, he'd be happy to come back and do the band. And you have to understand that. Um... When that band was being huge, for example, when they're in L.A. and they're getting swamped, McCartney and Lennon and Ringo are out in the town. Harrison's back in the hotel room writing songs because he was the less visible of all of them. Yeah. So uh, even again, when he gets involved in film, he's a behind-the-scenes guy. And I think that as that band – I mean, I think you would have seen them sort of evolve into this sort of um, – Quasi, I mean, each one would have made solo records, but I, the albums wouldn't have been as frequent. I think the albums would have been about every five or six years or whatever. I don't think you'd get an album every year or two. I think they would have taken time off, done albums, and then you would get some. You would get something that will sound like a cross between Kid A and Smells Like Teen Spirit every five or six years. I think you just would have gotten something that just completely changed the sound of that particular time. You know, disco still would have happened. Um, Punk still would have happened, but I think the Beatles would have still survived in spite of all that. Where I where I think it gets interesting is what happens to the Beatles in the 80s when New Wave hits, because that could be the time where they lose their footing. Because a lot of the New Wave bands that came along, while the Beatles were an influence, um, I don't think the Beatles had an answer to the synthesizer, and I don't think that just the sheer garishness of the 80s. Well, I, I can't see them. Well, even in Paul's solo career, Paul's answer to the synthesizer was going softer. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily. Yeah, he he went in kicking and screaming too. Yeah, you know. Well, but I mean, of those of of those, I think probably Harrison would would have um, uh, would have guided them through because I mean he's the guy who hooked up with Jeff Lynne of yeah. Electric Light Orchestra. Um, so I, I, I think I, I think if they had managed to hold it together and like you said, figured out a way to have a pressure valve release type of thing they would have figured out a way to get through it because you know that's just what they did it's what it seems so um 
now now speaking of that speaking speaking of all the you know the other stuff my my last thing on the beatles which has been huge because they're the fucking beatles what can you do is you know we've had the anthology series we've had all this stuff that's come out um is there surely there is stuff still in the vaults that has not come out and if so what do you think is going to happen well, to the, it? There's the Holy Grail that's in the vault, but you have two huge legal teams behind it that it'll never see the light of day. What's that? That is the night that the Beatles stayed with Elvis and recorded records and, and jammed until 4 or 5 in the morning, and those were recorded. So those are in the vault. Those exist. Well, I don't know who owns the tapes, but that, those sessions got recorded. As so, I understand it, it's a pri- it was a private recording that Elvis made. Yeah. So I would imagine the Elvis Presley estate owns those recordings. Hmm. I would imagine. I would imagine the estate Elvis's estate owns them, which is you know basically Priscilla and Lisa Marie, actually. So. But they just sold it. I think they just sold the uh, everything last year. I thought, but again, that's the only thing I can imagine that would really. Unless they start releasing releasing some of the concerts or something, I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, they've been releasing. They released the BBC sessions a while yeah. back. And at the time, and again, it's the thing of the times. Now, bands save everything. I don't think at that particular time, if the cut was terrible and they didn't like it, they just recorded over it. Um, because you didn't have. I mean, it co- recording tape cost money, and sessions or studio time took money. So I think that. And they were a band that didn't have to do. I mean, for for the remarkable disparity in their each of their musical taste as time went on, they didn't take a lot of time in the studio to bang out a record uh, with most of these albums. Most of it, it was just boom, the records are done, and you get songs yeah. where they have multiple takes. You know, I get that, but for the most part, they didn't have all these outtake sessions that you have with all these other bands, and I think that. They thought so much of themselves, they never thought, oh, well, we're going to re- release an album of outtakes and demos. Whereas now, I think bands to themselves think, well, save every recording and demo because we can release a demo thing. Somewhere along the line, we can use that later. I think the industry's changed about that. You know? yeah, yeah, and I, if you want that, it's, it's actually called the Black Album, yep. and it's fascinating. You yeah. know? But I, I just don't think that they were compulsive about saving the stuff they didn't like. Yeah. So I'm not sure there's that much out there outside the night they recorded with Elvis. And um Well well it's it's interesting because I I, I did have a uh, this is how sad I am. I had a, an actual thick paperback book that was a guide to unreleased and bootleg Beatles. And it claimed that along with Revolution, Revolution One and Revolution Nine, there were also Revolutions two through eight Yep. And I think ten through twenty-three <laughs> that existed somewhere. Take, yeah, yeah, but but I mean, but with each one being crazy and different, like the 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 fantastic um uh the the black album, the, the my favorite part of the black album is a complete fucking jam ball to the walls of uh of of Hey Jude, completely at odds with the version that was actually yeah. released. So I I think you know having and and also having heard the um. Also, how sad I am. I've listened to the entire Get Back sessions, all of the banter and outtakes of that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there would be enough where you could release something if you wanted to. It would just be a very niche sort of thing for crazy people like myself. 
Well, I mean, I would be really interested in, like, the scraps of Sgt. Pepper's. I think of all the records, I think that would be the one they could put out multiple versions of. Well, I think, but didn't of... most of that make anthology, though? A lot of it did, yeah. A lot of it did, yeah. But, I mean, I, and, and this is my point, is that I think most of it's been used. Mm. Um, unless there's the only other thing that make prop up is there's still early recordings from Hamburg and the sort of pre-fame Beatles, and suddenly that stuff is still circulating. Yeah, I think I, a lot of that stuff's been released as well. So I do too. I mean, I'm just trying to think of times when, yeah. you know, I think they were once they got big, uh, and broke. And this is the the disadvantage I think the Beatles had of their fame, is once they got so big and they broke, it got harder and harder for them to sort of keep their own material hidden from mm. from guys in suits. You know, I mean, they had to spirit themselves away in the in the middle of the night to you know to work with the Beatles or work with Elvis. Um, you just gotta wonder what other stuff you know is truly out there. But you know, I can't imagine there's much more. I just yeah. the only chance we'll have of some of it coming out is I think um, whatever McCartney has, mm. if he personally releases a bunch of stuff, I think we'll see some of that. Mm. But I I just don't know what there is. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I know a guy at Capitol for years, and I keep saying, when's the new Beatles record coming out? He goes, there's not that much. It's like Sinatra. There's not much left. Wow. Most of it's out, you know. Um, and Or the other thing, too, is that some of it is so – like some of the concert recordings are so inaudible. Oh, God. Well, they, the the Hollywood Bowl, I can't even listen to it because yeah. you just you, – all you hear is screaming. I mean it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Tuffley, what what do you think? Is there is there a – is there a gold mine waiting somewhere that we don't know about? Or I, I don't think so. I think it's all been out. I mean, yeah. if you want really good recorded live Beatles, there mm. is the BBC sessions, which yes. there are – a lot of it is composed of, okay, there's a lot of banter. There's mm. a lot of the Beatles radio show involved in it. But um, I think it's the cleanest recordings you're ever going to get of the Beatles actually playing live outside of what's on Let It Be. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Or the band yeah. Yeah. And, and I think if you want live Beatles, I think you, you find the BBC, which I think the BBC stuff is out of print, actually. Yeah. Uh, last mm. time I went looking for it, the, the BBC sessions were out of print. So I, I, they may have they may have re-released them as part of the reissue series, mm. uh, at least to uh, iTunes, but I have not seen them back yeah. actually in print. They no. may have just re-released them digitally. But if you can find that, uh, and you want some live Beatles, there you go. Um, but I think I think as far as studio stuff, I think the anthology pretty well covered it. Yeah. Or at least I'm satisfied by the anthology. Um, yeah. Just because I – I don't know. I'm one of those people who, okay, yeah, I like cause, – because I hit this problem with the Fleetwood Mac reissue that I listened to recently. That yeah okay I appreciate some of the studio stuff that how things get from one point point A to point B, but there's some of it where I think I don't really need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you don't want to know what goes into the sausage. I, I don't want to know, and 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 you know sometimes with the Beatles, uh, there's the myth of the Beatles, and then as you start to see some of these documentaries, there's you know what actually was going on, mm. and and you sort of I but I like the myth. I'm comfortable with the myth. I'm good with the yeah. myth. Yeah. Well, I, I would just say, uh, to, to close out, the one thing that I would like to see reissued um, that I don't, I don't know if it's ever had uh, a, an actual reissue would be a collection of the Beatles' Christmas albums that, that they put out to their the fan Christmas club. Singles yeah, the, the Christmas club? singles. Yeah, the Christmas singles. Yeah. Yeah. 
because I, I've only heard bits of them because they're, I mean, they, they were put out to the fan club and they're sort of hard to find. So, yeah. Uh, so, so that, that, and, and, and I would say, um, yeah, please, I, I know it's a bootleg, but the black album is ridiculous. So, so there you go. The Beatles turning 50 and still relatively young and somewhere in a very interesting alternate universe. Uh, there's a very interesting music industry freaking out right now because the Beatles are, uh, you know, they're headlining Coachella. So, all right. So rolling again, and we 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 come out of the shadow of the Beatles. It took some time to walk out of the shadow of the Beatles because it's a very long shadow. But as as I threatened before, uh, we're days away from uh, Valentine's Day, and uh, I know that we've yeah I was waiting for that and. Uh, and I know that we've we've previously uh, in this spot uh, in the soundboards yearly uh, cavalcade of goodness uh, we've 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 ass- assaulted you with a huge playlist of various and sundry tracks. So what I would say is if you want a huge playlist of various and sundry tracks, go listen to one of our other podcasts from a February time frame. But I, I figure we just do a quick addendum to any songs that that either came out in 2012 since our last go at this or any songs that we discovered that that we didn't know about last time any addendums that we would like to addenda i guess you would say that we would like to add to our ever burgeoning list of anti-valentine's day songs um i mean rob rob what have you got that you want to throw onto the pile of bitterness? Uh, well, well new which i just heard this week uh matt pond who has a new album out uh hole in my heart which is mm. kind of catchy um i do want to use that uh, Miss You by Clinic, which is on their new record. I'd throw that in. And somehow we have managed to go through all of these shows, and I've never mentioned uh, Neil Sadaka's uh, Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Uh, Did we I really know. miss that? Well, mm. now that I've heard it, I've played it in a big room. I think, wow, this is actually really fun. Yeah. Um, if you're in a room full of people that are cheerful and happy, oh, yeah, it's great. Just watching huh. them all through. Um, and I don't know if we've ever – mentioned it either but uh you don't bring me flowers by neil diamond oh my god it's so sad um and a lot of the merle haggard stuff uh i've been listening to a lot of merle lately so forgive me but a lot of the merle haggard stuff is just like really rough breakup music it's like it's even almost more than me more than i can take um wow yeah i know um so and again anything by nick cave is pretty dark i want to recommend that uh toughly had mentioned a grinder man track a couple it might have been on the last justice but uh i kind of forgot about grinder man too as well and um yeah i mean i've been listening to lots of old blues records in the 20s and 30s and there's just like pick one <laughs> yeah <laughs> um that calendar that i got from from you guys we just like it's like the feel-good calendar of the year. <laughs> yeah. For, for, um, for, our, for our listeners, that we, I found the ultimate Rob gift, which was a, um, what is it, the 19, it's, it's, just, it's cover art and advertisements for blues records from, God, what, the 20s, 30s? What, yeah, what was 20s it? and 30s, yeah. That, that, that came with a CD of the songs. Yeah. I, think, I think Pig Poke Blues or... Uh, <laughs> Bizarrely it's like strange stuff, yeah. Cop, cop getting bitten by a dog blues, or I have no idea yeah. what all of it is. But. Um, another addendum I want to make, too, is the um, cover of Against All Odds by Postal Service, which is from the soundtrack to Wicker Park. Yes. Otherwise, completely forgettable, except for that song, which is 
It's and I believe that's going to be on the reissue of uh, Give Up, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. So if, you, if you've never been able to get it and you didn't have the Wicker Park soundtrack, you can get it on the reissue of Give Up when it comes out. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Wicker Park, of course, was the, uh, the, the highbrow sequel to Wicker Man. Um, <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, well, Tuffley, what, what have you got to throw on the pile? I don't have any addendums like fresh, fresh addendums, but songs I've never mentioned before. Mm. Um, 10 CCs, I'm not in love. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think we've ever mentioned, uh, which is, which is, which is goodness there. Which, which definitely also leads me to the Crystal Castles and Robert Smith record of. Yeah. I'm not in love. love. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Um, The Far Side's Passing Me By, which I don't know why we never mentioned that one either. Mm. But uh, far side there. Um, let's see. Uh, I, I think those are the only ones. I, I usually the ones. I, I, one of us always says "Level Terrace Apart," so that's there. Yeah. Um, There's a great version by Square Pusher though that I yeah. would highly recommend. Yeah. Um. Well, okay. Uh, I I most of my stuff is not from last year, but because of the evil that is Spotify, and. <laughs> I have found a lot of new music that's new to me. Um, so I will, I will throw out um, uh, If You Go Away by Ambulette uh, off the lottery EP. Uh, also, a new one, though, uh, and I mentioned this, I think, in, my, in the year-end wrap-up, was uh, Friday Night by The Busy Twist, um, which is a great, catchy tune about, um, you know, the, the, the women, and they're, they're, they're so changeable, and they, they make our lives so hard and all that stuff. Everything you want from a catchy anti-Valentine's Day record. Um, also, there is an incredibly dirge-like version of You Are My Sunshine uh, by an artist called Chelsea Wolfe, um, which is from like 2006 or something, which is, uh, which is like a, from a soundtrack to a serial killer film. I mean, it's that dark. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, my, my favorite band from last year, Diablo Swing Orchestra, if I had to pick one from them, it would be Rancid Romance, um, which is off their album Sing Along Songs for the Damned and Delirious, um, <laughs> which is excellent. Um, also, as, as Tuffley knows, I've uh, discovered Frank Turner. Um, yeah. And he, is, he, is, he has put out, like, what, like three albums a year or something insane like that? So I'm not even... He's got a pretty insane release record. So um, I, I, I would go with Casanova Lament, which I absolutely think is fantastic. Um, Frank Turner, you said? No, yeah, Frank, Frank Turner. Turner. Yeah. Frank. Oh, that's even better. No, no Frank, Frank. Frank. Oh, Frank. Oh, yeah, I've heard him. Okay. Yeah. And speaking of Postal Service, he does a killer version of uh, The District Sleeps Long. Yeah. Oh, uh, so does Birdie, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good one. Um, also, uh, I, uh, a really, really nice, smooth cover of 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover by G-Love, which was from 2010. Um, uh, new is uh, Hurt Me Tomorrow by Kanon, uh, who's a Somali-Canadian rapper. Uh, I, have, I like to collect really nice rap and hip-hop lyrical similes and metaphors. Um, and uh, uh, I think the line is, uh, I wish there was a button I could press to start again. You bring me to my knees, girl, like Nancy Kerrigan or something like that, which I think is wrong and hilarious. Um, could, I, could I throw in a mention real quick, which yes. I just thought of? Yes. Um, the entirety uh, of the trilogy from The weekend. Really? I've got that, but I haven't listened to it yet. Which is, in its entirely, a breakup. Wow. Jesus. Really? I've got I, I that, think, but I haven't listened to anything I think all yet. three of those, if you listen to it, it's like, there's the breakup, there's 
the weird bit where he rebounds and then, you know, I, I'm thinking the, tr the trilogy from the weekend is a breakup in its nice. entirety. Nice. What, does he, what does he sound like anyway? Is it soul? Is it rock? What is it? Um, well, he's done a lot of the beats for the Drake album, uh, the Drake albums. Okay. Uh, but there's so there's a lot of that. So basically all everything that the Drake records sound like. Pretty much that. Uh, and it's a lot of um, guitar, kind of R&B with, with a lot of heavy guitars in it. Okay, so I need It's to very interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, just, just a couple more. Uh, Melody's Echo Chamber with You Won't Be Missing That Part of Me, which is an excellent song. Uh, also, I, I listened to their album previously, but hadn't really caught the, uh, the song itself. Um, the band is Slow Club, and the, the song is Sorry About the Doom. Which is, it just it'll make you will find you will find beer in your house. It will materialize in your house, and you will drink it. Um, Can I uh, throw yeah, in something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. Um, I do want to throw in um, Primal Scream, mm. and I'm losing more than I ever had, which later was sort of re-recorded as Loaded. Hmm. The whole music—it's basically all the music from Loaded with <clears throat> lyrics on it. Nice. Okay. So, yeah. With added lyrics. Yes. And also The Sweater by Mirren Cadell, which is an awesome kind of like get over that guy kind of record. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, Kill the Director by The Wombats. Yes. <clears throat> so so there you go. There's there's our addendum, dear listeners, to our, our rampaging, ever-growing, ever-long playlist of anti-Valentine's Day tunes, some of which you'll probably be able to hear if you go see Rob DJing live with his anti-Valentine's Day song. Oh, God. Yeah, it's turning into a hand. Oh, God, it's a mess. <clears throat> All right. But, so yes, the show is archived. I'm doing a radio show on Valentine's Day, the anti-Valentine's Day show. And then the next night, someone got a great idea if I would do it live. And the exhibit that they're the, the, this part of it has a huge banner with an I heart melancholy above it. Nice. Right? <laughs> and, yeah, and it's it's turning into a circus of insanity and craziness, and I don't really know how to handle it. So, yes, help me. <laughs> um, this so, could be my last one of them. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it, it, so in addition to the addendum of of, uh, of craziness, what I thought was there's there's a great radio show in the UK called Desert Island Discs, which has been yeah, going yeah. since like the 40s, I think. Mm -hmm. Um where they bring somebody in and they basically say, we're going to put you on a desert island. Which eight songs do you want to take with you to be your entire music library? Which by itself is pretty much a nightmare scenario for the three of us. Um, yes. I could do it, though. Yeah, no, no, you could do it <laughs> if you had to. If somebody put a gun to your head. Songs or albums? Songs. Songs. Oh, you're turning this into high fidelity for me now, aren't you? Uh, oh, no, it's Desert Island Discs. You get the, they, by discs, they mean tracks, basically. I, know. I could yep. do it, but the thing is, I've seen them invite people back like five years later to, to, to see if their list changes. Yes, yes. And, and, so, and, it, and it normally I, does. So, but this I, is, I could do it as long as I'm invited back like five years later. Well, five years so. from now, we'll do it again and we'll see where we are. <laughs> no, so you get eight discs, and then they have to say, if if there was some sort of tidal wave that came in and and destroyed everything and you okay you could only save one, which would you save? Now they also do stuff like you know give you books and stuff like that, but we're not going to do that. So yeah. the assumption is, if we had our own version of Desert Island Discs, 
and we had to run away to a desert island because our significant others uh, had decided to kill us, which, of course, we wouldn't ever have a chance to run away. They'd just kill us in our sleep. We know that. But well, apparently mine would involve bow and arrows now. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they, they are smarter than us, Rob. So, uh, so, so there you go. So, so if, we had, if we had just – and I said five, between five and eight to, to, to sort of, you know, I did eight because I'm, you know, I'm not crazy. But, but uh, I mean, which, which one of you guys wants to, to show your diminished library of anti-Valentine's Day songs first? Who, oh, what, I can go. Go toughly. What, what do you, uh, you think? I will go with the 10cc I'm not in love. Uh, I will go with Love with Will Tell Us Apart. That's that's good. Both both very respectful. Uh, I will go with Tainted Love from Soft Cell. Mm, I, I was tempted. Um, I, because it also includes Where Did Our Love Go? Yes. So that I don't have to take that one. It's a twofer. No, that's no, that's a good point. Although I was I, I I thought about that, but then I thought about doing the Gloria Jones original. So yeah, temp- yeah. But go ahead. Um, let's see. Um, I'd have to have some sort of Paula Jones uh, track in there somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure which one, but uh, I'd have to take uh, uh, the, the Dap Kings in there. Um, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. The world has turned and left me here from Weezer. Mm, okay. How many is that? I think that is, what is that? Six? That's six. Uh, I don't know. I can't count. Yeah, we'll say it's six. It's six. It's six. Um, pale blue eyes from the Velvet Underground. Mm, okay. And um, let's see, what else? What else did I want? Uh, let's see. Uh, there was an album track uh from uh, the Two Door Cinema album called Cancel on Me. <laughs> okay. And I, and I think and I think that's all of them. I think. Yeah, I think so. So if yeah. so if you had a cataclysm and could only save one, what would it be? Uh, Love will tear us apart, obviously. Ah, uh, yes, very good, very good. And I said Paula Jones, but I meant Sharon Jones in the Dap Kings. Oh, right. I knew that. Damn. Yes, I, I now now. Sorry, podcast audience. No, what here's here's you know I thought about that, but then because my brain is very easily distracted, I thought wouldn't it be interesting if he meant Grace Jones in the Dap Kings and. <laughs> And I never came back to the to correcting it. So anyway, back bumper uh, <laughs> again, again, in another alternate universe. It's a very different record. Yeah. Uh, all right, Rob, what do you got? Uh, okay, let me do the repeats. Um, love will tear us apart. Yeah. Uh, soft cell tainted love. Where do I love go? Yep. Uh, so both of those. Then uh, someone count because I'm stupid. That's two. Uh, yeah. How soon is now? By the hmm. Smiths. Three, yep. Um, Pictures of You by The Cure. Mm, good. Four, yeah. Uh, Broken Heart by Spiritualized. Mm, yep. Um, oh, what the hell is it called? Now Dead Shot of Mind Fart. Um, oh, I'll throw in Love on the Rocks by Neil Diamond. Um, <laughs> yeah, good sex. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, God, there's a Bauhaus song. I'm forgetting the name of it now. Um, Shit. Oh well, I'll throw it out then. Um, there's a Bauhaus song where basically the whole chorus is "You worthless bitch, you fickle shit," um, <laughs> which is I'm completely forgetting. So shows you how great that great of a record that one is, right? Right. Um, wow, this is now this is where it gets tricky. Yeah. Um, 
I will throw a curveball into the whole mix and go, I heard it through the grapevine by Marvin Gaye. Oh, no, that's oh, that's solid. Because yeah. you, you totally hear the pain and the frustration in his voice. Yep. Um, as well. And then... Um, See, now it gets tricky. Cause now yeah, like, one more. You got one more. I know. So I will probably go. Um, hmm. There's so many friggin' ways to go with this, but I'm going to go with, because I'm, I'm thinking Patsy Cline. I'm thinking about George Jones. I'm trying to think about Johnny Cash. But I'm going to go with the Nirvana version from the um, from the Live in New York thing of Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Oh, because in solid. the same way, in the same way, when you hear Marvin Gaye, you, if you wanted to know, the minute I heard him sing that, I knew he was going to kill himself. Wow. Because you could just hear, you've never, I've never heard a man sound more absolutely tortured in my life. And, and the urban legend is that, you know, he sang that song because that's um, when he found out Courtney Love was screwing around with Billy Corgan. Mm. And it's sort of a reaction to that. And mm. she was at the session. So, uh, and she didn't know he was going to play it. So, the sheer in your face moment of it alone is great, too. Yeah, that's good. Um, but then there's also Alone Again, actually. But no, there's also Alone Again, or by the Dam and, and, and Love. But no, I'll use those eight and I'll call it a day and I'll walk away from it because if I don't, I will go, oh, damn it. There's also Take Up by New Order. No, I know. Or Face I, Up by New Order. But no, I, I'll stop I, there. I believe what you're looking for is Crowds by Bauhaus. Yes, Crowds okay. by Bauhaus. Cool. Yes. All right. So, 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 Rob. I hate to yeah. ask you this, but if there was a cataclysm on your desert island and you had and to save only just one, one, yeah. Uh, well, knowing that you can't swim over to Tuffley's island and borrow his copy of Level Terrace Apart. Oh, so I can't use Level Terrace Apart. <laughs> no, no, no. You no. It's this. You can have your own copy. I'm just saying. You can't I, you pick know, something I would else. Probably, okay, there's a couple. I would probably. Um, oh, there's also Get Over You by the Undertones, but um, I probably would use Level Terrace Apart. Mainly because it was such an, a reaction against um, uh, Level Keep Us Together by the Captain and Tennille. That, <laughs> yes. And also because of. Uh, it also has the exact backbeat of Then He Kissed Me. Oh my God, you're right. In the same way that Defunct has the same backbeat as Girlfriend in a Coma. Um, but. I will pick Level Terrace Apart One because of just everything. I mean, you can't go much farther than a dude than a dude hanging himself um, to really put a giant exclamation point on your sadness, misery, and despair breaking up. So, uh, yeah, I'll go with that one. Nice. All right. So, so my my eight. I I, I tried to strategize about this because even even trying to narrow it down to anti Valentine's Day songs. Yes. There's so many. No. Um, so, so what I tried to do is I tried. I left to, one for you, by the way. I, I may not have taken it. I may not have well, taken it. Let's see. That, mine's a little weird because what I said was I'm going to allow myself one sort of wallow in misery song. But then I'm going to try to focus on bitter, angry songs so I can get that bitter, angry energy to help yeah. me stay alive on my desert island. Right? Yeah. So while I'm, while I'm building a boat – or I'm I'm hunting goats, or I'm I'm harvesting coconuts to build a radio. I you know I need the energy. So my my wallow in misery song 
is for no one by the Beatles from Revolver. <clears throat> uh, because I had to have the Beatles in there. Um, and for, for, for my other bitter, angry songs, um, Don't Think Twice It's All Right from Bob Dylan, uh, Free Will and Bob Dylan. You Just Kind of Wasted My Precious Time is one of my favorite. It's just so matter-of-fact and yet bitter. I love it. Um, uh, had to have some Fishbone, because it's me, so I went with Love and Bullshit off of the Bone in the Boneyard EP. Oh, okay. Because that's nice. Uh, I thought you were going a different way with them, but okay. No, well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's, there is, um, uh, line ass bitch. There is, but just the, 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 uh, I don't know, the, the love and bullshit just is more, is a broader type of thing. It's less specific. Yeah. Um. So, so I, it was a hard choice. Trust me, it was a hard choice. Um, because it it holds great history for me. Uh, and mentions my particular fashion sense. Uh, Song for the Dumped by Ben Folds 5. Yep. yep. Um, also, going to go with um, uh, If Work Permits by the format from Dog Problems, because uh, there, there's nothing you want to be able to do when you're thinking about the fact that you wound up on a desert island because of uh, you know love gone wrong than being able to scream while you're putting together your thatched hut roof, I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right. You need to be able to scream that, so I'm good with that. Um, I- I'm also going to go with uh, Lover I Don't Have to Love by Bright Eyes because that's just horrible and bitter and wonderful. Uh, number seven. Just for the sheer energy involved with it and by the fact that it is bungalesque and feels like seven songs in one. Uh, and not just because they're my favorite band from last year, but Exit Strategy for a Wrecking Ball by Diablo Swing Orchestra. Uh, they're from their Pandora's Pinata album. And last but not least, Frank's Wild Years by Tom Waits. Yep. Because, because you know, it's Frank's Wild Years by Tom Waits. You mean uh, the album or the song? Oh no, the song. <laughs> the song, yeah. which is which is oddly not on the album, Frank Swalke. I know. Which is how I got into Tom Waits because I bought the album thinking the song was on it and went, "What the fuck is this?" Um, so when the typhoon hits your island, which song do you uh, try to say? Shite. Um, all right. Well, I think because because there is the the because I'm going for being able to wallow in misery. Yet having bitterness and energy, I think that I would have to go with Tom Waits' Frank's Wild Years. Good choice. Because I can, that, I could just, even though it's like two minutes long, you can listen to it over and over again. And, and, you know, you can pretend that you're drinking, even if you haven't figured out how to make alcohol on your island yet. So there you go. Well, if you listen it long enough, it creates delirium. So... (laughs) I have a completely weird related question. Yes. When you guys are making your list of anti-Valentine's Day songs. Yes. And you're like going through all these like songs and music and you put them together. Do you two have the weird sort of like awkward moments with your spouses when you're like picking breakup songs and songs about misery and anti-Valentine's Day when they're around? Rob, you're talking to someone who, as I was mentioning this to Cosette earlier, pointed out that I put Unhappy Birthday by the Smiths on one of her first mixtapes. Nice. <laughs> uh, honestly, yeah, I when, I, honestly yeah. when I do the anti-Valentine thing She's not even in the room <laughs> Oh, I can't escape it She's like, okay, alright 
Maybe it's, it's, it's almost it's all, okay. So the thing is, she she has to not be in the room because I have to think about bad relationships. Yes. Oh. And ironically, and I'm not. Report, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that in a you know I'm trying to get in really well. I just <laughs> I have to be in a frame of mind to think about bad relationships. Yes. And strangely enough, usually I can come up with an anti Valentine's list after I've been to work. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works. Well, I've been walking around the last three weeks with a pen and paper. Every time I think of an anti-Valentine's Day song, writing it down. Because I have to program five hours of it. Um, well, uh, Rob, I hope the four hours I sent you helped a little yes. bit. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, that was very therapeutic, by the way. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I mean, it got pointed out to me that, you know, it's Chinese New Year's, the year of the snake. I said, yes. And she goes, so are you going to get out pictures of all your ex-girlfriends? Which I was like, okay. She's like, well, you're just playing all this hate music. It's like, just want to see all your failures. I'm like, thanks, honey. <laughs> hey, that's the slideshow. Yeah, you knew I was wow. grumpy when you married me, but you know. That's true. That is. But it's, yeah, it's kind of awkward because I'm like, oh my god, I'm like, I'm sitting in the car the other day, I'm like, oh my god, why can't I? Why don't I use sometimes my Depeche Mode? You know. Nice. Yeah. What's wrong with Black Celebration? <laughs> it's a breakup song. Nice. You know, I'm having the argument now about just like heaven, whether it's a happy song or a sad song. That's been the argument all week. Um, I know. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I never thought about it like that. Um, <laughs> just, just like heaven. In fact, I want to be dead. So that's good. That's good. Well, you could always go the route of you know the song can be interpreted, you know, dual ways. Like you know, pictures yeah. of you. The cure, yeah. which you could look at, okay, in a negative way, or you could look at it in in a slightly more positive way. Yeah, the same way that you can, like every breath you take by the police, it could yeah. either be a creepy stalker record or something else. Nice. Yeah. Or the record that got Biggie shot. Oh wow. That's why. Yeah, Sting shot Biggie. That's all I know. Well, well, yes, some songs have multiple meanings. Some songs like This Picture by Placebo only has one. Yeah, uh, yeah. But bad songs <laughs> say so much. Uh, so so with that bombshell, we're, we're going to tune out and turn them off, so to speak, uh, to paraphrase the song that was just referenced. Um, so, so there you go, sports fans. Enjoy your Valentine's Day or anti-Valentine's Day. But just make sure that you don't let your Valentine's Day and your anti-Valentine's Day touch because they will explode. So until next time. Don't on the cross show, the streams. Don't cross the streams. Uh, don't cross the islands in the stream either. Uh, and if you're alone and miserable on Valentine's Day, you're not alone. You're okay. It's okay. I mean, you're alone, but you're not alone. No, there's other people that are in your boat. But I mean, you are really alone. You're terribly alone, but you're not alone. Okay. But you're not Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart alone. No, that's true. No, you're not Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. What the fuck is wrong with these kids' eyes, and why do they look like they've got sparkly tinfoil on them alone? See, see, that's why. That's what scared me about that. And Lee was like, that scared you? Yeah, that video is really scary. It is really terrifying, because they have disco balls in their eyes. They have disco balls in their eyes, and it's like the strangest boys' school ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. It could be, just remember, 
when you're there you could be bonnie tyler when, when you're there and you're drinking and you're alone and you feel depressed and you feel let down by life you could be in a bonnie tyler music video Ooh. <laughs> so just count your blessings dear listeners uh so there you go that wraps it up for this episode of the soundboard on behalf of myself and uh, rob and toughly we will see you next time thanks so much for listening and enjoy whoever you're drinking with and drink them in as well turn around bright eyes no i'm the one who picked bright eyes what all right stopping